Greetings and salutations. You are listening to the Into the North podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the Commander format, also known as CDH. I am one of your hosts, Reed, aka Sick Robot, and today I'm joined by my co-host, uh, Morgan, aka Spleenface. How's it going, everyone? And special guest and Tier One Con champ, Ken Bauman. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, so. As you might have guessed, in this episode, we're going to be covering just the entire Tier tier 1 Con 2022 experience. Um, But before we get into that, is there anything else that you guys have actually been up to uh, since that? Anything interesting? Uh, Not a whole lot on my end, mostly just, you know, coming back, uh, getting settled in. uh, Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, just getting back into the grind. Yeah, same. Just just getting back into the groove, work picked up, and then trying to get back into the daily writing routine. Um, yeah. But uh, it's been good. It's been a good adjustment. Good stuff. I actually want to get a quick question in here before we uh, go into it, into the topic. How long did it take you guys to unpack after getting back? <laughs> oh, I'm a, I'm a freak who unpacks the oh, second. Good for back. you. Good for you. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it took me a good few days. Yeah, uh, understandably. Basically, I mean, that's, that's a lot of stuff. I unpack all the like <laughs> non-clothing stuff more or less immediately, and then right. uh, I unpack the clothes when I have to do laundry. Yep. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah checks yep. out. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. Personally, uh, we're not going to spend too much time on this, but I did in fact uh, take down the MLC from the last time that we recorded slash tier one con. So yeah, happy about that one, but. That's not what this this episode's about. If you if you want to hear anything about that, uh, I actually did a podcast recording with Callahan on the Mind Sculptors, uh, sort of talking about the run and all that stuff. So if you're interested in that, go over to that one. Uh, I'm not sure that we're ever actually going to do a full episode on it. So yeah, if you want that content, go go do that thing. But for now, it's a good uh, interview. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. We're gonna we're gonna stay uh, we're gonna stay focused on two one con, except for doing housekeeping real quick. Um, for housekeeping, we have two new patrons. Uh, we have Daniel B. And Zach W. And uh, thanks to both of you guys. Again, couldn't do it without our patrons. Uh, and there is always, as always, some really cool stuff coming down the pipe directly relating to patronage. Um, so, yeah, keep your eyes open for that. And also, thanks. <laughs> um, we'll do new developments as well. Uh, we By the time this episode comes out, it is probably going to be the weekend of Punt City, but um, we are going to be there, myself, Morgan, and Lyndon. Um, so if you're there and for some reason you're a patron who's listening to this on the Friday and is also going to Punt City and somehow also didn't know that we were going to be there, um, it's your lucky day because we're going to see you probably tomorrow or <laughs> the day after. <laughs> so yeah, uh, if you are at Punt City and somehow you're listening to this uh, before the event, uh, come find us, hang out. It's going to be a good time. Otherwise, uh, I'm sure we'll have some amount of a breakdown, um, I guess, depending on how well we did or not. If we both scrubbed out, maybe we won't mention it ever again, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> uh, and the weekend after Pun City, uh, there is actually going to be the Cash Cards Unlimited event. Um, this is the event being put on by Cassius Marsh and his LGS Cash Cards. Uh, I believe... Ooh, I don't want to get the sponsor. Actually, eh, eh. I, I don't know what the sponsor is, but it's... Uh, is it... What, Frank? There's, there's a direct... Oh, I thought there was a direct I, crypto sponsor. I mean, it's it. They're playing at Frankenstein's. I think that they've got like three or four sponsors. Gotcha. Okay. Like L- Ludex, Troll and Toad, a bunch, and like a couple others. Yeah, I okay. think. 
cool. Maybe. Um, so Cash Cards Unlimited, uh, it's going to be a hot one. Um, I'm not sure that there are going to be tickets by the time this episode comes out, but uh, there is, in fact, a Black Lotus plus sum on the line. Um, so if you're interested <laughs> in that, uh, you should definitely go check that one out. Um, it's. I think it's going to be a hot one. Uh, I, unfortunately, I don't think any of the Inter North is getting over down there. Um, it is in California. Ken, I believe you're going. I will be going. Yep, I'll there be attending go. the circus. So I good mean, luck. You might. There's a very real chance that you could catapult yourself into like just all times earnings leader for CDH on a scale that really isn't achievable by anybody else if you win this one. So. Oh God. Yeah, that would be something. Uh, cool. So. That is our new developments, uh, and yeah, I think we're just going to get into the main topic right now. Um, so we are going to be talking about uh, Tier 1 Con 2022. Um, it was a great time, good tournament. Uh, Ken did, in fact, take it all down. And in fact, yeah. before we get into uh, the topic proper, uh, Ken, do you want to just give us a full introduction? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Ken Bauman. I um, play a bunch of Magic. I'm a Magic nerd. I run the YouTube channel Stacked EDH, and we make videos about Commander primarily, both casual and competitive. Um, I run, or rather, I publish, and am part of the team at CDH.Guide, which is an introductory uh, kind of hope, hoping to be a one-stop shop for folks who are curious about CDH, learning about both the metagame and the mindset. We got a lot of data there and statistics, which is fun to poke around. Um, and uh, so even if you're a, a well-enfranchised CDH player, hopefully it's a, a useful resource for you. And then I maintain the uh, Krark Discord. It's called the Thumbless. And I also keep up three primers for three CDH Krark lists, Krark Sakshima, Krark Timna, and Krark Thrasios. And then outside the world of magic, I'm a writer. And you can find information about my books at KenBauman.com. Currently, I'm working on a fantasy novel, which I successfully ran a Kickstarter for. So that's my that's my day to day work. Uh, so it's pretty fun. Um, but yeah, that's me. That's the spiel. Nice. Uh, and obviously, we're gonna hear more about Ken as we, as we talk about this. Episode, yes. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah. Definitely go go check him out. Go do all those things. Also, great personal branding. Having the uh, first name last name. Um, dot com is uh oh gosh yeah, yeah i did that god when I, I think i was like 14 yeah. when i got that website i was like why not That's right and one. i that was a good decision <laughs> um cool uh so i think uh we're just gonna hop in uh, i think because there, there's a lot yeah. to get through here um and it's a gonna be a pretty action-packed hour ish and a half we'll see um yeah. But yeah, so I, th I think we'll immediately get into it um, and probably start by starting at the beginning, as one does, um, mm -hmm. and then talk about sort of everything leading up to the event. Um, there are a couple of points here uh, that I definitely, definitely want to touch on, um, but I think first we'll get through um, just all the magic-related stuff in terms yeah. of uh, prepping for the event, obviously, uh, so doing deck tuning, play testing, uh, mm -hmm. I guess, like, shaping the way that you play the deck, um, maybe tuning ball against the event. Um, yep. Like, meta-analysis, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But let's, I, I guess let's uh, step through it uh, one point at a time. Um, so, I guess we'll, we'll talk about, sort of, going in, what you sort of figured the meta was going to be like, uh, mm -hmm. and then I, I'm assuming that sort of informs a lot of the decisions around uh, how you built the deck going into the event. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll reveal my naivete or my irresponsibility <laughs> here, but um, or hopefully both. Hopefully yeah. I can reveal both for your entertainment <laughs> edification. Um, but uh, so I, I asked a couple of friends 
um, who are more familiar with App Meta, hey, what what should I expect? You know, I, I really my primary question was how stacks heavy is the meta? Mm-hmm. You know, what proportion of decks in the tournament do you think are going to be stacks decks? And um, because I think that that's ultimately uh, uh toughest matchup, particularly yeah, Winota, and um. And so I was, you know, curious about that, but I just, I just sort of asked some general questions, you know, like, Hey, is this like East coast, New York, like turbo, all gas, no breaks, or people playing mid range. Do, do you find that people kind of play more responsibly or are they a little bit fast and loose, you know, just sort of general kind of getting the boundaries of the, of the event in my head. And in terms of deck selection, I mean, my job was really easy because I had a kind of a couple <laughs> points to prove. Yep. Um, so I was like, you know, I and that's why I made the hopefully funny Blue Farm video where I, you know, cop to to finally capitulating to the wisdom of of the you know the CDH pros and being like, I'm just gonna play the best deck and you know like <laughs> et cetera et cetera. And then I'm like, no, I'll just play the deck I like. I'll play Karkzakshima and. Um, so, you know, I, I wanted to get a sense of sort of what I was going to face, but I knew that I already knew what I was going to do with the deck in advance of the event because I'd been planning this for a few months. So um, after the Marquesa 2022 tournament report uh, in which, you know, Clark was like, oh, you know, Clark's a big problem. And if you play Clark, you know, we're going to be watching you and you better be good or you suck and we'll kick you out, that kind of stuff. Um, I... I, I decided to pivot the deck away from its commander's centricity as much as possible, given the colors, um, which, you know, is a little tough and is it, but I did what I could. And so I made a pretty significant amount of changes to the list, sort of rebuilt it from the ground up after that tournament mm-hmm. report um, in the in the hopes that people who would find the deck and play it would feel a little less affected by that additional heat and scrutiny that the deck was drawing at the time. And um, the deck was worse. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll just say it like mm. it was worse when it relied less on on its command zone because, you know, we're not in four plus colors. So command zone centricity in two colors really is just sort of like the necessary evil. in my Yeah, that's just sort um, of where the power comes from if you're cutting colors, right? It, exactly. And so leaning away from that felt kind of awkward. But, you know, I did it. I did it for a couple reasons. One was to help players again who found the deck. And two was just to sort of see what the deck could support. You know, if, if, in other words, if it kind of hang in a less commander centric structure. Right. And I pretty quickly came to the conclusion that like, no, this is worse. Like this is just definitively worse. And um, so I, I had planned bef- like right as I came home from the tournament, sort of regardless of how I did, I was going to um, update the primer publicly to reflect the changes that I had made privately. And I, I'd shared those changes with um, folks in the, the Kark Discord as well before the event. But basically, I just I changed the deck back and sort of brought it home, more or less, to uh, its pre-Marquesa 2022 structure with uh, some lessons mm-hmm. learned from the post-Marquesa list. And um, I wanted to make sure that the deck felt, at least for me for the tournament, very low to the ground. Um, with, you know, just steady, low mana value interaction, um, flexible redundancies in terms of interaction. So, you know, like, yes, I'm running Stern Dismissal for an instant speed bound stuff, but hey, I hate that Archon that says don't cast instance, so let's also play Void Snare because <laughs> right. that's a one mana bound smell. You know, just, just trying to make sure that all my bases were covered and that there were a few redundancies in every category of interaction that I really 
found super important, mm-hmm. have found super important for the list to have. Um, and then in terms of like the engine, I think that that was really where I didn't have to think because the DEX engine is sort of pretty established at this point um, and has changed minimally over the last, I'd say, six months. Um, and so I just kind of threw all that together and uh, made a couple of sort of decisions that felt like personal preference for a tournament environment. Like, for instance, this is a good example, I think. I cut Invoke Calamity, which people you know, mm. were very, very happy with. But I was like, I don't want to resolve that in a 75-minute timed round. So I'm going to just stick with Finale <laughs> Promise and see where that takes me. Um, you know, Just some stuff like that to try to be a little bit more friendly for time. And, uh, and then, yeah, so I, I was on that version of the list about two months, uh, about a month, I'd say a month and a half before flying out, uh, to Copenhagen and just was playing it regularly, you know, as much as I could it locally and with folks online. Yeah, um, definitely. But, but, you know, it wasn't, I didn't have to, you know, that was the sort of nice thing about playing the, the quote unquote pet deck is like, I didn't have to play test too much because, right. You know, I already I already run the deck into bad matchups all the time locally, and so I was really used to that. And then, you know, if I was like, okay, if I'm going to see some turbo and some mid range, I I feel pretty comfortable playing in those pods. So I don't really need to like do too much thought work to prepare for that. I, I feel pretty prepared for that. Um, so actually, and I, then that was that was it. Yeah, I, I actually did want to ask though, um, because it's it's sort of. Uh, constant thing among i guess people that play in a lot of tournaments right now that um it like it, it seems that the importance of being able to find uh pods that have the composition that you want to test against is a pretty yeah, big thing hard. recently um and it's yeah. pretty difficult to get so i was just i was actually wondering like sort of what your process was for that or like what what your experience has been in terms of um like trying to like do you actively try to assemble pods that you think that you want to test against to test certain matchups? Do you just like tend to like try to walk into certain metas and like just hope that yeah. the metas have the the decks that you're looking for in there or like what like sort of what around that? Like what what's the ideas for you with yeah. the process? Well, I'm I'm a little bit lucky in that um both the folks I play with online and the folks locally have a pretty wide variety of decks. And so generally my practice like playing locally, which is where I sort of get the most games in, I'd say, would I just I just trust that the um wandering attention spans of my friends would sort of vary up the pod composition frequently enough to kind of reflect different kinds of metas. And that wound up being the case. Like, you know, I play with Mab, Mab the Queen, um, who's on Twitter, and she's got a bajillion CDH lists. Right. And um, so, you know, I'm always like, Mab is always available to like pull out a kind of deck where I'd be like, hey, do you have, like play Turbo? Uh, you know, and then I play against a, a Winota main. And so I feel like I, you know, I'm as comfortable against that deck as I can be, which is never comfortable. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I play against uh, in the local as well, uh, just sort of a pretty dedicated control player and then um uh and then there's a few other players who come in and out and they've got uh each about five or six lists as well so it's good like the the variety is pretty frequent but i i wouldn't really like show up locally or even play online and say hey can you play turbo you can you play mid-ranging you can you play stacks or you know something like that i would just sort of trust that i would luck into that um, right. And, and usually it happened. And the similar thing for online, you know, playing against folks who stream all the time means you get to play against sort of whatever deck yeah. that you 
want to play again. So, um, so no, I didn't. I didn't really design it top down. I just sort of trusted that the variety would be, the variety would be helpful. You know, playing playing in a meta that is a is essentially unknown. You know, I ask questions gotcha. about it, but you don't know until you show up on the day. I guess. Yeah. Um. I guess also Morgan, feel free to top it in for questions as well. But uh, there are actually a couple of uh additional things that I sort of wanted to dig into in terms of uh, playtesting mm -hmm. before the event. Um, so obviously uh there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot in terms of like major overhauls of a list that you're going to make yeah. before the event um that we said earlier um you it's the advantage of having a pet deck and a deck that you have uh sort of iterated on for a really long time is that the slots tend to be pretty tight at least to your own personal preference um yep. so uh i actually did want to ask if you had put any thought into um during testing maybe not if you didn't necessarily want to make uh, changes to the deck that much, or if you weren't like looking to um, optimize mm -hmm. slots that much because you were pretty confident in it. Um, did you were you thinking about uh, like tuning your mulligans or play patterns at all to the event um, during testing? Well, I mean, I have sort of a couple heuristics for this deck in general um, that have seemed pretty useful regardless of of sort of where I'm sitting down. Um, and so I made sure to to try before the event. I made sure to try to mulligan more, with more discipline. Hmm. Um, you know, a little less playing it casually, right? right? A little less like, okay, this hand looks good and fine, you know, and we're just here to play a handful of games and then go home. But I would try to just you know have that discipline that I anticipated I would have or hoped that I would have at the tournament while playing locally and online. Um, so in other words, what that looked like for me was. Okay, uh, am I going to see a Dranith early? And if so, I need a Mulligan to a turn one Clark. Or am right. I going to see an Oof or an Oof effect? Okay, do if I think if I anticipate that I am, I need a Mulligan to you know removal. Um, and if am I playing against a Turbo deck, I have to be super disciplined and just hold up interaction and slow roll it a little bit. Right. Um, you know, which are just sort of general rules of thumb that have helped. Um, but beyond you know just sort of adhering to those three principles more or less um i didn't i didn't I, you know i didn't make mulligan decisions based on anticipating a light stacks mostly mid-range and turbo mm. meta um because i you know that's kind of the nice thing about at least in my mind that's that's been the nice thing about playing a very commander centric engine oriented deck is that um you know you you know your matchups yep pretty well and so the mulligan heuristics stay pretty uniform based on what you're sitting across like you don't really have to think you don't have to think too deeply about it because um you know what to expect and you know what to anticipate as being disruptive to your primary game plan you know and if your primary game plan gets disrupted then you're probably on the back foot al already um and you know you just need to be prepared to pivot or wait for a chance to redevelop or whatever um but yeah so i i didn't i didn't i didn't try and i also wanted to make sure to not try to like big brain myself too much because this right. was my first in real life cdh tournament and so i was like i need to just um be comfortable and confident in my choices and i don't i i just want to you know trust that i can pilot it pilot the deck well and trust that I know the deck's matchups and then we'll just play to the best of our ability and see what happens, you know. Which I think 
it's a pretty good mindset in general just sort of like once you once you have done all the prep that you reasonably can do for a tournament um just yeah. sort of to lock in the mental and just be like yep we're just gonna play and we're gonna play well and whatever we get we're gonna take and just yes run with it. yes yeah exactly and that i mean and regardless of sort of like what is optimal in terms of preparation i only I only have so much capacity. Like I, you know, I, I want to be a super rigorous thinker in terms of like being prepared and, um, anticipating sort of the correct futures and like modeling it out all accurately, but I'm just not that smart. So, (laughs) so, you know, I just sort of like get to a point at which I'm just sort of like, okay, like I, I am, I know I'm pretty done here and now I just need to uh, focus on process and focus on what's in front of me. And I'm, that's where I rate myself the most highly as a player is not knowledge and is not being anticipatory of metas and is not like, you know, being the most optimal brewer, but I am very, very confident in my ability to just focus on the situation of the game and not lose focus um, and sort of play it from start to finish. Um, that, so that that was sort of the goal and to be honest that was the goal of the tournament i i was not preparing and this may may sound silly but i was not preparing with the the aim to show up and win i was preparing with the aim to show up play those were the two primary goals just show up just make it and play and then when playing play as tightly as i could and make as few as mistakes as possible and um and then just and then again kind of trust the process gotcha yeah, I think that's definitely uh, definitely in in CDH in particular. I think at a certain point you just kind of have to approach like you have to you have to understand that some amount of your play is just going to be intuitive. Like I, I yeah. in other yeah. formats you can try and you could, you know, write say like a several page guide for like each matchup. And Uh then it's like, okay, here's what you're looking for. Here are the kind of cards you want to see. Here's what you have to worry about, whatever. And then play from that. But, you know, even if you assume that the deck pools were, like, roughly equally the same size, which they're very not, (laughs) you know, Uh that, that means that there's, like there's two orders of magnitude more (laughs) matchups that you have to prepare for in in CDH than in, say, Legacy, because in Legacy, you have one opponent, and in CDH, you have three, yeah. so, like, all right, yep. I'll write my my Winota, Thrasios, Timna, Timna, Krom, you know, matchup <laughs> yes. guide, and, and, and it's then, like... And like, then also, that, that, that matchup <laughs> guide will also include all the permutations of turn orders and how those affect the matchup. Oh, yeah, and... of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Easy, easy-peasy, you know? Um yeah exactly and so i you know i i'm a big uh what's the word i'm like a big believer mm. in the reality of variance right in in cdh and uh <laughs> no i i had no idea it's certainly not as if you're <laughs> known for the guy who flips coins continuously <laughs> yeah exactly yes true 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 um and so you know i i playing and i, I also realized about myself sort of years and years ago before i even picked up cdh um playing it like a, a a big you know a big uh, magic fest or gp at the time playing it a gp like i know the mindset in which i feel like healthy and capable as a competitive player and it's very specific and trying to adopt other kinds of competitive mindsets just don't 
work well with my brain and body setup. And so this mindset, in other words, like be extremely process oriented and extremely focused on what's in front of you and then just sort of trust your ability going in and trust your ability to pay attention and learn on the fly. Right. That's that's where I feel like, okay, I can compete holistic like I can I can sustain as a competitor in that mode. But if I start to like if I start to be more sort of um, goal oriented or if I start to um, try to feel more sort of masterful in terms of like my knowledge of the event uh, that I, I start to fall apart. Mm. And I just know this about myself after decades of being competitive in various fields. And so this was, this is where I lived, you know, sort of regardless of, of whether or not it was right in general, it, it's all I can do. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. Uh, so I think, I think we've probably talked enough about preparation for the actual event. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I sort of, so it's sort of a question that I sort of wanted to ask um, because you had talked about it at the event and had sort of uh, alluded to it on Twitter uh, leading up to the event as yeah. well. Um, that uh, you had some, I, I mean, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but um, you had some difficulties leading up to especially international travel. Um, leading <laughs> yeah. up to this event, uh, that I, I, I personally found to be, uh, act like super interesting and a great part of the, um, the success story that is the winning of tier one con. And I thought oh, like cool. was worth yeah. exposing to a, a general audience. So they had the context for it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to talk about that. You know, gotta, this is, this is all hopefully entertainment, right? These events they're they're they should be fun to watch right. as, as, uh, even if you're not participating in them. So hopefully this adds to the drama. Um, but, uh, so a couple things, uh, were, 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 were complicated <laughs> yes. leading up to the event. Um, the first biggest complication, the, mo the most profound complication was just like my health status. Like I, I am in like a small percentage of folks um, for whom COVID is super, super risky because I take an immunosuppressant because I have Crohn's disease and that's what manages the, the Crohn's. And so I've had to be pretty vigilant and cautious and, and like risk averse for the last two and a half years. And so that was a thing in my mind, you know, yeah. I was like, okay, I'll be traveling. I'll be getting on a plane for the first time in like two and a half years. Yeah. Uh, and I'll be in airports for the first time and blah, 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 you know, so just sort of preparing myself for that and, being ready to just sort of like, okay, what do I need to do to feel like I'm taking care of myself and I'm safe within my control? And then what else, you know, what do I need to just sort of yield about and be like, well, you know, doing what I can. And if I get sick, I get sick, but you know, mm -hmm. I'm willing to take that risk. Um, so I had to make those decisions. And then I also booked all my travel and then realized, oh, Ken, your passport's expired. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, <laughs> so I had to um, deal with the wonderful U.S. Department of State. I say that incredibly facetiously, although they were fine in this <laughs> respect. Um, uh, I had to, you know, make an appointment for the day before I flew out oh, internationally <laughs> in a town six hours away. Oh, so I had to God. do a 12-hour round-trip drive to and from Denver, show up to the Department of State's uh, little station in Aurora, Colorado, and be like, please help. And, um, and, and then just hope that they would give me the passport the same day. Yeah. They make no promises, you know, they tell you nothing over the phone. They're just like, we, you know, we can't sell, we can't tell you anything. Just show up that morning and good luck, you know? Um, and so I did that and I stayed with some friends and that was lovely. But yeah, it was 12 hour round trip. 
got the passport the same day was like wow oh my god like the state worked like <laughs> that's happened. amazing that's incredible yeah yeah exactly and i was like staring at it being like huh this is surreal and then uh drove back home slept for like four or five hours got up went to the airport did the thing um and then the international travel sucked because international travel just sucks and airports are bad and planes are bad um cool but you know unpleasant experiences and uh heathrow is a is a as a horrendous place and please god don't fly to or from heathrow if you can get away with it um and uh and yeah there was like one point in heathrow where i was like i was in a sea you know i was in a sea of like probably 600, 700 people waiting just to get through security, sweaty, tight corridors. I'm like, you know, one of maybe 8% of people in the crowd wearing masks. And I was just like, cool, yeah. cool, 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 cool. <laughs> well, if, if any were, were going to be the time, this would be it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, okay, like, well, you know, here if, we go. If we, if we um, survive this one, I think you have pretty good odds. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but you know, so far so good. So that's been good. But yeah, so you know, made it finally, and then uh, and then from there, smooth sailing. You know, and like mm. yes, getting home was also miserable, and there were delays, and it took forever. And I think I spent fifty six hours traveling, uh, you know, from like a Thursday to a Monday, uh, you know, on either side of that, it was like fifty six hours total. So unpleasant, but. At the end of the day, nothing a good night of sleep or a decent out of, a night of sleep and a good dinner can't fix. Mm. Uh, so I showed up Thursday, took care of myself Thursday night, got decent sleep Friday night, and it was fine. It was great. It was a great trip. Yeah, awesome. Um, cool. So I think, uh, actually, let's, I'm going to swap, we have, we have stuff in the dock there. I'm just going to swap the order. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there we go. Uh so yeah, I guess let's uh let's fast forward to being in Copenhagen, I guess, and uh yeah, sort of uh directly uh before the event. Um, so for the structure for anybody listening, um, who hasn't looked too deeply into it, um, so uh effectively what the event would look like was uh basically like a bunch of people, at least internationally, showed up on the Thursday, um, and then Friday evening there was actually a last chance qualifier for a buy, um, in the main event. Um, which was actually very interesting and was also actually like sort of great just for um, the fact that you could enter like the the list didn't have to be the same between the LCQ and the uh, the main event. I'm not yeah. sure that um, you were one of the people who took advantage of that, but um, mm-hmm. it was definitely interesting to sort of get like a sneak preview of the tournament meta for three rounds before actually playing yeah. the tournament and like having a few hours um, overnight to sort of rethink some deck choices and stuff. Uh, in that yep. time um but just like i guess like immediately before the lcq or the main event um eddie did you did you end up doing any uh last minute swaps or slash do you wish that you would have done any last minute swaps <laughs> yeah i mean there i i don't know within the first like couple rounds of the lcq i was like man i really miss in the festivities mm-hmm. uh, i just i didn't anticipate um how what's the word i didn't anticipate how dork heavy yeah like the the meta was gonna be and, and i probably should have right because i got told hey it's a lot of mid-range i should have been like oh well hey let's let's you know kill some dorks but um i missed it you know there are a couple games where i was like oh god this would be so good right now yeah. um I, I think i remember but, were we playing in like the hotel bar or something or was it yeah 
Yeah, and I was like, oh, yeah, there's definitely an the festivities coming down the yep. pipe. And you're like, nope, not in the deck. And I was like, wait, seriously? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I, I missed that card. But for the most part, otherwise, I felt pretty good. Um, so that was really the only thing that I missed. And given the opportunity, I can't, I can't you know, if, in other words, if I had a copy of the card, which... I don't know. It might have been hard to find because it is literally just a common. Yeah, li- yeah. Um, just bulk chaff. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't know if I would have made a cut because I just felt so confident and thoughtful about every slot that I, I you know, and cuts always are, as they are for, you know, all of us, I'm sure, pretty excruciating. Um, <laughs> so and Actually, actually I'm going to hop in right there because... Uh, Morgan has had the exact same experience with me. I love cutting cards. I I absolutely love paring decks down to like 90, 95 cards. The issue for me is finding the replacements. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So I think like it's interesting, like totally opposite thought processes for that. Yeah. Wow. Because like even 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 like in uh, in Thrastimna where you would assume that cuts get pretty hard after a while in terms of like yeah it's just a ball of card quality and like as soon as you want to add any card and it's like well these are all spoken for like this is 99 98 slots of just like good stuff for me i i take so much pleasure in like looking at those decks and being like yeah i think these five cards are cuttable i don't think you could actually i don't like i don't think you actually need a veil of summer in this spot i think you'd probably cut Mm -hmm. these two tutors this removal spell sort of sucks here and then the issue is like finding the backfill for it (laughs) yes that's amazing though i mean and that's that's probably an attitude that i need to try to adopt because and and I do think it is. I mean, you know, it is different. Although maybe it isn't so different um, with like a narrow, color restricted mm. deck because, um, I don't know. Like card evaluation is all, always both very very simple for for various card decks and complicated from the perspective of being like, okay, where do we want to try to increase. Uh, uh, overlaps where we you know what how is this redundant with what other effects and right. how can we benefit from that redundancy and like you know does is the alternate which maybe is a little bit better in a vacuum is that going to be more relevant um etc but there's just like so many you know, yeah, I, interlocking pieces in crook i think that are like the big yes. one in terms of like e- everything in the deck sort of touches all the other pieces in the deck and like ways yeah. that aren't immediately apparent um a lot of the time yes. or like that like the the densities of certain effects like make engines work and you might not have mm-hmm. thought i'm i'm sure you have thought a lot about about this but like for the average yeah. person like you might not have thought about like the actual like interaction of like 20 of these slots and how they interact with the rest of the deck um which can yes. make like yeah. cuts sort of weird and additions sort of weird exactly and you know i've i've tried to be very very experimental with the list and you know rebuild it a few times just to see what happens but sort of we wind up coalescing around the same spot you know the community does and um I I I think that the deck I mean god this is 
maybe maybe a tweet could explain my <laughs> the, the like forced ideology of this deck <laughs> is like you know i was like okay those are some cool rares and mythics that you got there in the new set watsy okay now finger gun show me the one mana value instance yeah, sorceries exactly. like that's all and i know that that's right that's sort of gen- generally a cdh mindset of being like okay show me the efficient stuff you know and mm-hmm. then we'll 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 look at that and evaluate that but the strictures with which I have to evaluate cards for this deck are really, really tight, you know, because I have to be like, yes, I, you know, people look at the list frequently who aren't super familiar with it, and they, you know, they ask good questions. They're like, hey, why no force negation? Why no this? Why no that? And then you have to go, well, well, you know, just imagine uh, owning a stacks piece and controlling it. Now cast that card. What happens? Yeah. You know, and being like, having to think about the early stage of the engine as this sort of big gate, this threshold over which, uh, through or over which things need to pass in order to be um, efficient. And uh, that's weird. That's weird. Yeah. But most, I'd say most decks don't have to deal with that kind of, uh, that band, you know? Yeah. Um, you, you, and yeah, so thinking about cards is, is strange for the for this deck. So, and, 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 but maybe I, again, I think I do need to have a more sort of gleeful attitude towards cuts and swaps because it's just like, God, it's just so, so painful to me. It's not, it does, it never feels maybe difficult, but it feels, it feels painful. Mm. It's like, you know, well, killing, you killing wanna, my you darlings play all or whatever. The cards, right? So what you yes, can't play I want to, and this is, this is why I'm a terrible <laughs> uh, CDH player from the perspective of Mulligans, because I see hands and I'm like, these cards are all great. I want to cast these cards. Yeah, let's, let's cast these cards. And then you're three turns yeah, and you're exactly. like, wait, these cards don't do the thing that I want them to do. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, well, you have to not lose in order to cast spells. So maybe not lose first. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I don't know if that was helpful or gobbledygook or whatever. If that was uh, no, nonsense. But I, I think it's a great insight, um, okay. especially for our listeners as well. Um, okay, cool. Uh, Morgan, do you have anything, any questions burning hole in your pocket um about pre-event stuff or just like immediately before the event uh i mean so i guess it it's uh you know you said you were talking about uh and the festivities um was i guess was the meta like what you were expecting like i I get that you didn't wind up making any swaps and honestly Uh that's probably like a good policy uh yep (laughs) <laughs> we're, we're, we're definitely <laughs> bad about that we'll like jam a half dozen games the night before an event and then be like yeah we'll we'll make like you know one or two swaps based on that information and like sometimes we're right yeah. sometimes we're not right I think uh, Reed was very happy with his wing crafter I wound up cutting mine maybe, <laughs> I, I, maybe I shouldn't have done that but um, <laughs> I, 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 I was I was happy about it in so much as like it 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 served the function that I wanted it to, but I still described it multiple times on day two as an embarrassing slot, and I'm pretty sure the rest of the people agreed. <laughs> um, <laughs> Actually, when, me, when me and River were sitting down for the top 16 game, I, I won't jump too far yeah. ahead, but when we were sitting down for the top 16 game, uh, we both realized that we were like, so... Because we because it was open deckless, obviously. So, like, everybody yeah. in the top 16 was just, like, looking over deckless for the rest of the pod um, before the games. Yep. And we were both, like, we both basically asked each other, like, so, did you see the one? <laughs> and we yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Wait, what, what, what was Rivers? Uh, I think his was, oh, I, oh, I think, I, I'm forgetting it now. It was, uh, what was it? It. 
I I think it was one of the creatures. I, I I'd have to go look at the list. I can tell you sure. what it was as like as soon as I found the list, but yeah. Totally All forget. Right. But mine mine was certainly the wing crafter that he was just like, yeah, if the rest of the table hasn't seen that, that's that's the embarrassing one. <laughs> well so, Yeah, so, so anyways, I guess like my the 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 question I was gonna ask was basically like even if you didn't make any card swaps, did you make any other adjustments like based on the information you got? Uh, from the day before, you know, where you're like, okay, I'm gonna be mulliganing more aggressively for, you know, a bounce spell to, because I think there's gonna be a lot mm. of stacks pieces, or anything like that, or was it more or less you went, yep, the play patterns that I was expecting to have to use are are gonna be successful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think I made two changes, and and also like staying up with Alan, a mental misplay, and like chatting after the lcq was also very useful um in this respect but the first adjustment i made was just sort of the attitude like a, an attitude adjustment i um i sort of just felt comfortable after that lcq in which i went zero and three by the way so it's not like i did well um but i felt really comfortable um with my knowledge about what I was gonna sit across. So like I, you know, I went in sort of being like, okay, what what surprising commanders am I gonna see, or what um, what cards are gonna take me by surprise? And you know, having worked on the CDH or having worked on CDH guide, I'd like to think that you know I'm not gonna be surprised that often. Mm. Um, and that at least in those three games, I wasn't, and I was very happy about that. Right, like the winning lines, I understood, I anticipated. Um, the card choices made sense. You know, I never felt like, oh God, like I have to remind myself, like, how does this deck win? Um, you know, like it, I just felt like, okay, I, I know at least right now, I, tonight, right? Like yeah. after the LCQ, I'm going to sleep relatively peacefully. I'm not going to be tossing and turning being like, oh God, what, you know, what unknown unknown is swirling around out there. So that was the first adjustment. The second adjustment was, um, I, I don't know if I was, confident enough to say that I anticipated this, but I'll just say that I was curious about how much fishes and ristics would be fed. Right. Um, and uh, and I was like, well, you know, we'll see. Maybe the turbo player will feed it. Maybe the mid-range won't. And, you know, the, the common patterns will prevail. And I think I saw in those first three games enough evidence to just go like, oh, people are not, people are very careful players. Um, mo most of my opponents were pretty damn careful. Right. But we're not uh, paying for Ristic all the time. And we're certainly feeding fishes. And so I was like, okay, this is good. This is going to make those hands seem even more keepable. You know? And if, I, if I'm looking at a hand where it's like one piece of acceleration, like a modest piece of acceleration, three lands and a Ristic, that that might just get there more than I, more than I normally think it would. Right. You know? Um, and so that was really nice to see. And so that was, I'd say, the second adjustment. And otherwise, no, other than being like, oh, in the festivities, which, to be honest, that was just an, I would say that that was probably just an oversight, you know? Like, I thought, like, right. oh, mid-range, sure. But I didn't then go, well, dorks, duh, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so it was just a blind spot. But I think it wound up working out okay, all's well that ends well, I suppose. But, uh, but in the future... And if I anticipate mid-range, I think that cards like that or considerations like that, I'll actually try to 
sit with those thoughts a little bit longer and be like, okay, but now what? Like, I have the right. thought, but now what do I need to do? Well, I mean, if you <laughs> if you win, then every card choice you made was objectively correct. It's correct. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's a hundred percent correct. That's right. Yeah. No mistakes. No mistakes. Perfect play. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I feel like I feel like people often forget. You know, there's like the the Star Trek. You know, it's possible to co- commit no errors and yet still lose. And it feels yeah. like a corollary of that is that it's also possible to commit errors and still win. And I feel like people win. forget Absolutely. that a lot. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And in a four-player free-for-all singleton format, like that is probably going to happen a lot more often than you would like if you are a control freak like me, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it, it's, it's interesting... Um, that you like you know you mentioned the lcq people were not careful about ristic study and fish i had uh at a, a a real rough game in in one of my lcq games where uh two people tried to make bad win attempts in a row feeding yeah. a ristic study the whole time yep. and then passed to me after both of them didn't get there they went up passing to me with literally two mana and a thrasios in play and being like, all right, so it's your job to stop the Rog Silas player who has 15 cards in hand. I was like, yeah, good luck. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Don't, don't yeah, yeah, worry yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I got it. Yeah, um, I've got, I got 15 cards in my hand, and they're all Force of Will. Well, I'm ready. Yeah. Um, including waiting for 40 minutes for a Gitrog player to try and clean up Sculpt with no crop rotation oh, in his deck. No, but and no man oh, open. No. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little rough. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, I, I definitely, I think that that's one of those, uh, those things that, like, is hu- it's impossible to predict and is hugely variable pod to pod, where, like, I had a pod where someone played a Ristic study, and, like, everyone was like, alright, so we're all, like, gonna be chill about this, right? And then, like, I had other pods where someone played it, and then the next person just immediately was like, yeah, draw three cards, and I was like, uh... Oh okay. boy! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's a thing. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's definitely like, it. I think it's one of the things that has even within a meta can have extremely high variance from one pilot to the next, one deck to the next, uh, and is is hard yes. to get like a a general shape on. Um. So I'm, I'm curious. Did on the next day, like on the actual tournament, were people pretty aggressively feeding or like was that your experience well i mean depends on what people means i definitely did (laughs) Um, uh, no i i played it pretty pretty safely and i would say that uh there were a couple games where or no there were yes there were two games one in which i was the perpetrator um i i absolutely you know just just fed all the cards in the world to the uh the fish player going for it i did not anticipate that the other Clark Sakshima player who had mold to four would have uh three pieces of interaction in their hand yeah. when i went for it so that just sometimes happens um and one of which was mind break trap so rest in peace oh. to my whole life um yeah. uh so i did that and then also there was a game in which a, a joyra player uh was in seat one blue farm plays aristic uh, pass um, Tim and Jessica sets up you know just mana 
and then uh, I play Aristic and pass. And both the Blue Farm player and I were just sort of smiling and sitting back and waiting. Uh, and yeah, indeed, it happened. You know, we both got fed like crazy, and then the Clark engine uh, beat the Blue Farm engine in terms of the control game. Um, and so, you know, it, I think that the, those, those play patterns are pretty common where somebody just feels like, well, I'm in too deep now, and the, you know, like the sunk cost fallacy is just like ringing, ringing out in the sky as they just continue to dig and dig. Um, but, but otherwise, I'd say that uh, Ristics and Fishes that I saw throughout the whole tournament evaluated broadly, they all drew a good to like a modest to good amount of cards um, on average, you know. Um, and but but and nobody played super super conservatively against them like that's sort of what i expected to be honest but nobody felt like oh i will never feed this like in principle like no let's unite let's never feed it i never saw that happen which surprised me a little bit one of the games i played a fish everyone was like pretty good about feeding it until there was a six counterspell war over a rolling earthquake <laughs> yeah exactly yeah I'm just yeah, sitting there moments like that like, like it all just goes to hell. guards back and forth as it wasn't even the rolling earth <laughs> it wasn't even the person who cast the rolling earthquake who was trying to protect it it was Najila oh, was wow. trying to counter it, and and like <laughs> yep. it was Elsha cast it. Najila was trying to counter it. Blue Farm was trying to protect it because they literally didn't have creatures in play. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there. I have a bunch of creatures in play. I don't want it to resolve, but I'm like, I'm gonna let you guys just do your thing. And then yeah. uh, and then at the end, I was like, all right, I'll spend one counter spell from the seven cards that I just drew, oh, and my uh, God, and I'll stop this. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the um, expectation for Ristics and Fishes to be like thoroughly and consistently respected is like uh, just against human nature in 2022 or 2023. Yeah, like I, maybe that's just the case. There's, but uh, there's also an element of um, just there. There's it. I, I won't say it's it's sort of a weird. Hmm, it's it's weird to describe, uh, but the. The average level of responsibility in tournament pods is pretty high, but the yeah the the average number of people in a given pod that are not going to be responsible is also higher. If that makes any sense, sure. Like yeah, gen generally yeah yeah. yeah yeah yeah. Like so, generally people's play patterns are relatively responsible in tournament compared to how they would regularly play. CDH yep. stuff, but you're also very likely to have at least one person in a pod that is not going to be responsible about that type of stuff. Um, yep. So yep. it's it's sort of like a and different that, texture yep. compared to like playtesting pods and stuff in that way, um, or just like yeah. stream pods or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I mean, you know, I I just felt very lucky. Hashtag blessed, whatever. Uh, to just be playing blue, you know. Uh, <laughs> love love to play blue, and it turns out that uh, yeah, it certainly helped. Yeah, that was. There's actually something I, I we won't get too deep into this I guess but um there is there is definitely something to be said um especially uh I I I I've sort of been sitting on this not really theory because I know it's I know it's exactly how I pick decks and how Morgan picks decks um in general yeah. but the idea of like when you're when you're playing decks for a tournament um if you are confident in your own skills as a player a lot of the time uh then you'll tend to gravitate towards decks with higher player agency read blue yeah um yep so and especially blue decks that actually have game going into mid game and potentially long game as well 
Um, yep. And I'm assuming that's a large part as well of, like, why you would play Crux Hakashima over, say, like, Crux Timo, <laughs> where... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just... Yeah. You, you have... It just blue gives you so much player agency, and it gives you... Um, it gives you, like, a larger lever to be able to leverage your uh, player skill um, when playing yes. a deck. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't... I am not a... Uh, what's the word? Like, I am not a... I shot my shot, and I'm sort of comfortable with the consequences player in terms of deck patterns. Right. Um, and, I, yeah, I always want to be able to do something, yeah. you know. And that is that is the archetypal blue psychology, and it sure is true for me. And also, too, just like... You know, I don't think that we can say too much conclusively oh, about God, not. tournament results. Yeah, about tournament results and what they say about decks and blah blah blah. But I do think we are nearing uh, being able to say conclusively that uh, if you don't play blue, you are absolutely playing on hard mode from the perspective of, of tournament CDH. Um, well, it, it's yeah, just, it's like yeah. it's it's weird because it's maybe not even necessarily hard mode. Like I I, I see where you're coming with from with it, but it's so just like you just sort of like giving up all of your like you're, you're sort of like giving up a bunch of the uh a bunch of the gameplay um like percentage points yep. for mulligan percentage points it feels like yes yep <laughs> where it's just like yep all right well we're just gonna try to go hit good hands and then try to kill people <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um and that's a nightmare for me i don't i i hate mulliganing i like every card i draw oh, that's why yeah. i play them i mean that's why do you think um, we play blue dork decks right you're just like yeah this this end has a two lands a dork and a timid in the command zone sure fine we'll yep, game it <laughs> exactly exactly yep yep uh cool um so i guess before we move on from the lcq um did were there any like other memorable moments that you uh wanted to talk about or um do you think we're good to move on uh, to the good stuff? well I mean, maybe this is maybe this is a moment from the LCQ that I thought was just fun and silly and might be sort of a good advertisement for the deck. Um, there was just a moment in which uh, I'd get probe somebody, and I knew that they had a calling the week, um, and they had a, a Roger and a Rograk, and I had an offer you can't refuse, and I had a pact of negation. And we needed an out. Table collectively needed an out. Right. And uh, packed and offer weren't it. And uh, it was my turn. It was main phase. And I was like, okay, look, I need you to put a calling the week on the stack so that I can pack it, copy it with Kark. I just had one Kark trigger at the time. And then cast offer, tapping out to do so. Cast offer, win the flip. If I lose the flip, the turn just ends and we lose. Win the flip. Put two uh, offer copies on the stack. One each, targeting each packed make four treasures, and then I got to gamble into the answer. Uh, <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> extremely convoluted and stupid. But I managed to convince the player to calling the week the Roger, and I, I gave it a shot, and everything worked up until the point where gamble needed to resolve, and then I spent four treasures to fail to gamble four times uh. in a row. Uh, but, so that is either a great advertisement for the deck and its silliness, or a great advertisement for playing other decks, which <laughs> you don't need to do such <laughs> dumb do, stuff that blows up in your face yeah, about. Yeah, you don't need to um, try to resolve a gamble four times, and even four if it times, does resolve, exactly. not discard the card that you do do <laughs> not have it be <laughs> yes, read in tomb. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so that was funny, and I'll, I'll just remember that for a little while. It was, it was just sort of a convoluted out, 
and I was proud of myself for seeing it, uh, and then very, very bemused uh, at the fact that Clark said, nah, you know, don't <laughs> quit trying to be know. smart, kid. Um, and, uh, and yeah, but, uh, but no, I mean, the games were good, and I also, I felt very lucky, like you'd said earlier, to have gotten a free right a free taste a free preview of the tournament to come i was like oh this is amazing like yeah this there's no downside to playing these games you know it's all upside i also that felt so good yeah i i will say before we move on i I keep tacking on things before we move on but truly just before we move on i think um i think the lcq is actually like a great thing to have uh for larger tournaments um i like i actually super appreciate um like the just the ability, if you're there a bit early, to go play some rounds of, like, actual tournament CEDH the day before. Um, yes. And getting, like, a view of the meta. And I feel like it's also... I mean, like, I uh, joking will probably yell at me and tell me that it's not the case. But I feel like... I feel like it's... Uh, you, you Just because you're you're rewarding with buys rather than actual prize support. It feels like you actually uh-huh. maybe helps increase the profit margins for tournament organizers, which is desperately oh, yeah. needed. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, you just charge entrance fee for the lcq which people are going to pay to play in and then you just like you get like an extra day of tournament with an extra entry fee right without having to actually you just have to run it which i mean you you have to run it yes and set it up and all that stuff but (laughs) but yeah sure there were i mean like if you get i don't know 30 players in your lcq at at 20 bucks a pop and you already have your venue then yeah like i'm pretty sure you can run a you know, you have to pay some people for their time, but I don't think it would be it would be that much. Um, yeah, yeah, that was definitely. I think that was that was a a good event. I mean, I I think that there's like there is sort of an argument essentially that uh you know people who can show up early or you know can like can show up the day ahead or I mean can obviously like it was twenty bucks here so probably anyone who's attending the main event can afford to to enter it but like i i guess there's an argument that maybe buys aren't the best like like having a bunch of people with earned buys aren't just aren't like the best for a tournament structure um Mm -hmm. and like i get why they did them you know like they did them last year because they had uh because they had like their online events, which was basically how they like built the community and built the hype for the main event. Um, was they had these online qualifiers that that they gave out buys at. But I'm I, I could see an argument that you know we don't want buys to be like a regular part of tournament structure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly from the perspective of, like, drama and entertainment, it's not an ideal thing. In particular, if you're like, okay, the more pairings, the more pods, and particularly with players who are skillful enough to earn buys, the more that, you know, the more good media we could produce. Like, from that mm-hmm. perspective, too, it's kind of tough. Like, you know, we, we, we the, 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 the six and spleens of the world should be playing because that is good entertainment. Well, the, right? no, the like, trick is you give them a buy and then you get them to commentate round one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there, that's, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That's that's the tit for tat for sure. Oh, before I forgot, too, before we move on, I did want to mention one play that I thought was really beautiful yeah. and uh, deserves its sort of moment in the sun at the LCQ. Um, and I'll just do it concisely. So, 
it was that same game, right? Um, and a player who seemed very, very stuck and in a very difficult position, they were on very little mana, they had an Aether Vial, which was, you know, that was scary um, because they were playing uh, Timnothrasius Druid. Oh, yeah. And um, so they had the Aether Vial, and it was on two. And so everybody's like, well, this isn't good, or it was going to tick up to two in their upkeep. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, they, they ticked it up. They Veiled a Summer. They consulted. They consulted for Thoracle, which they had scried to the bottom during oh, their yeah. mulligans, and they hadn't cracked uh, a fetch and done anything. It. Picked it up, aether vial it down, boom, and it was be- it was just gorgeous. I, I was like, that was so <laughs> so elegant, um, and just made me go like, wow. Lists that can play aether vial are cool, you know? What a cool oh, card it is. Full agreement in like <laughs> oh literally God. everything that, that player was doing because that's yep. just everything that I love about the rest of them. Yeah, it was so good. Those, so are, those, well are, those are legitimately two of my favorite play patterns in Thrastemna. Is the uh, like yep. like I I'm I'm card limited and I need uh, to be able to win um, with just this consult. So I'm gonna dig with yep. Thrasios to put a Thoracle on the bottom. Is I absolutely love that line and also it's just so having cool. an Aether Vial in play is I I I commend that person because I've never been brave enough to bring Aether Vial to a tournament, but I absolutely Ooh, yeah. love the card and I love that someone it brought is, it. Yeah. It is such a cool effect, and I really, and I, and you know, it feels like obviously it's not underexplored in Magic's history, but it certainly feels underexplored in CDH, and so I just, I really like. I mean, there, it. there's yeah, only one, do. there's only one error that was made, which is, which is, you have to activate the Aether Vial hold priority uh, yeah, console. Cast the console. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. More style points, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, he's the, that's the double kick flip, you know. Um, but yeah, so that that was cool. But that was just one one another player's moments. I, I try to when I think back to tournament results, and I you know I uh, read. I learned this from you too. Like, it's good. It's good to shout out those moments in which. Uh, somebody blows you out spectacularly because like, oh, yeah. that is just part of the fun. <laughs> yeah. you know, we, If you can't enjoy and learn from horrendous blowouts while playing CDH, you're in for a bad time. Uh, but if you can enjoy that and learn from it, maybe more importantly, then you're you're going to do fine. You'll love, the, you'll love the meta. Oh, yeah. I think, honestly, personally, in my opinion, um, the part of having a mature mindset about the game is being able to appreciate blowouts, like huge blowouts, no matter which side of them you're on. Yeah. Um, yep, just, exactly. Yeah. Um, cool. So I think we're going to get into the actual meat and potatoes after an hour of recording. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, we'll, we'll get through this. We, we got a lot of content um, to get through here. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so let's, let's hop into talking about the main event because uh, there were uh-huh. some pretty cool rounds. Um, so the, the uh, main event was, the format was that there were uh, five rounds on Saturday uh, in open and then a round of open on the Sunday into a cut's top 16 and then um, top 16 rounds and then a top four round. Um, so I guess we'll start by talking about day one first. Um, I guess we'll get everybody's, uh, I guess we'll just go through and uh, just get sort of the performances um, of everybody yeah. and the records and then just for giving context and then we can sort of talk about any specific rounds and stuff like that. So uh, can on day one, we, I, I think it's weird as well because I think we all ended with the same record going into the t- cut to top 16 <laughs> but we all arrived at it in very different ways <laughs> yes, yeah yeah absolutely not misremembering i, I so. um yeah i i ended day one two one two or so two wins a loss and two draws right um and then i believe i ended uh, did i end two one oh i ended two one two but with a buy is one of the wins and then okay yep 
Morgan, you ended. Uh, I what, ended three, three one, one, one one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. So coming and to then, a pot. <laughs> yeah, and then on. So yeah. I guess for for me, uh, on day two in that last round, uh, we all agreed to draw because there were two two people who were three and two. Um, so them drawing meant that they were like pretty much a lock for top sixteen, whereas a loss might have you know left them out. Um, and then I I was thinking, uh, depending on who wins, that could actually have me going first, though that's not super likely. But it definitely like cemented me going second in uh, in my semifinal pod. Um, and then we were like, okay, we'll we'll agree to the draw. We'll play the game anyways. And like I was looking at the pod, going like, this is a pretty favorable composition for me um mm -hmm. there was a rafine stacks deck going first then me then a turbo deck and then i want to say najila going last um and i was okay. like i actually quite like my odds in this pod but you know mm -hmm. quite like my odds still means 50 percent. you know yeah. um yep and uh and so i just went you know i'll take the draw and then we played the game and it wound up just being like an absolute blowout uh i passed turn three with uh thrasio seedborn muse and eight mana jesus christ <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it, 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 it was not not okay uh <laughs> uh so you know maybe i should have played it and i would have ended four one and one which i think would have put me, which definitely would have put me going first in the semifinal. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, like it's even even if I like my position in the pod, it's still like a coin toss. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and sorry, the fourth player I didn't mention. The fourth player in the pod was just completely out of it, so they went like, "I don't, I don't care." Right? It's not like even if they'd won, they still weren't Aww. making top sixteen. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they went, "If you guys want to draw, I'm fine to draw." Um, that's, nice. that's nice but yeah I guess yeah. guess I should have played <laughs> should have taken it <laughs> uh, um, so you, you actually you, you played your round on day two right Ken yes yes, yes I played and uh, and then won that one um, and that was yeah it was interesting like really I kind of the, the notable moments the, the notable Swiss games for me were the first I won it and I felt really confident and the deck performed well and I just felt comfortable and I was sort of like the the mental game felt good hmm. and I was like oh well that's cool you know I was like okay <laughs> oh. I showed up I played and I won a game yeah, that's even better you know cool, cool. I'll, uh, yeah exactly I'll, I'll go home and I'll be happy like I you know I didn't didn't totally scrub out thumbs up um, and then uh, and then as the games progressed throughout the day and the draw, I rolled into the draws and another win. I was like, well, okay. Like near the end of the day, I was like, well, now I actually have to start like being, I don't know, like, like getting, getting serious getting, or like, something, like being an adult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so that sixth round, I had high hopes. You know, I thought like, okay, I, you know, I, I even asked both of you, I remember being like, hey, what are, what is like the math for like, you know, making a draw happen right. for the sixth round like do you think people will be amenable to it or not and and uh you know the pot i was in it, it made no sense for for most of the players yeah. to draw so I, I was like okay i get it um but uh but yeah winning that one in the morning i was like oh my god now this is going to happen whether i like it or not <laughs> yeah, it's, and uh, just gotta uh, play it through <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. I'll just keep playing. And, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the Swiss rounds were, I would say that the, my sort of over overwhelming impression from them or the, the main thing I walked away from was that, um, for the most part, everybody had really good sportsmanship. Um, everybody was playing oh, yeah. pretty responsibly for the, for the most part. Um, and I only saw a little bit of salt. Um, and that was good. I was like, okay, I re- I was like, man, I like this environment a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I started to just kind of lean into the, the tournament expectations of it. Um, and, uh, and, you know, got to meet lots of cool players and had good conversations after the game and chatted about deck choices and card selections and all that. And, um, so it just felt like a very, a really, really good learning experience. And then the fact that the focus on process had good results that first day. I was like, that's icing on the cake. And then day two became like, okay, win the thing. You yeah. Know, that, that I woke up or went to sleep that night and then woke up being like, okay, now you have to go win. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, and the, the mindset changed. <laughs> there's like this very, there's actually a very noticeable difference in even the atmosphere, but also like, I think literally yes. how everybody starts like feeling and starts yeah, um, like getting into their uh, getting into their zone, getting into their own head a bit. Um, in second mm-hmm. day, about just like, all right, now we're we're locked in. We're gonna we're gonna play. We're gonna play tight. Um, yep. Uh, and certainly like even like top sixteen rounds as well. Like you, there's there's a stark stark difference in how uh table talk goes at like in a top sixteen or top four versus yes. how it goes in um open rounds. Uh, unless yes, you have, unless you have Elder Drunken Highlander in your top sixteen pod, then, <laughs> then there's still gonna be a good amount of banter. <laughs> oh no, sorry, sorry. There, there's definitely still banter in top sixteen pods. It's just yeah. it's it's it becomes a lot more functional in terms of um the yes. the discussions and the interactions. A lot of the time, I I found. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, I I actually did want to say as well that just um for uh the first day is that i think i think uh feature pods are actually a bad luck charm for me because oh, what ended up happening wow. is so i i uh, i went 3-0 in the lcq and got the buy um so i didn't play the first round uh on saturday and then the next three rounds i played all of them in the feature match area oh my god um, for stream and i went yeah. uh lost draw draw <laughs> And as soon as I played the next round, um, which they finally took me out of the feature match for because my record was no longer good, obviously. As soon as they took me out and I sat down, I immediately got a game win. <laughs> so I was, just, I was just like, God, yep. I, yep. I, next time I it's just... It's those tents. I just, those tents. You know, the thoughts can't go as high because you got that tent above your head. Well, it's also, um, it's also I don't get to play with my own mat. I have to play with their yep. mat and all their stuff. It's just like, Ugh, all right, all right. I guess we'll continue playing like yeah, this. I am, I am definitely <laughs> self-conscious when I'm on stream. Um, luckily, yeah. like, I've played in my fair share of feature matches, so I yeah. have, like, I have some good habits that I've developed, um, yeah, yeah, uh, but, like, yeah, it's also definitely... Also, just, like, playing, playing on stream is, like, actually very good practice for playing, uh, yeah. in feature match areas, mm. just in terms of, like, like, board clarity. And my, board. my mm. bad luck was different, which is, uh, I... So I I remember just being so so I went last in my first round whatever it happens in my second round I'm going last again I'm like great fantastic uh, <laughs> and then we all sit down and uh, the tournament had this anti card system where like we had packs of of uh, cards that we were 
uh, we were given, and then, like, you'd ante one card for each game. And I sit down in my game two, and we started with six, and so if you lost, you'd be down to five. If you won, you'd pick up three, you'd be at nine. Everyone pulls out nine cards. I'm like, this is statistically <laughs> very unlikely. <laughs> then I got I got paired into a pod of four winners. Um, oh my god! Going last, <laughs> going last. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I wound up going over the six rounds. I wound up going uh, first once, second once, third once, and fourth three times. Oh wow! <laughs> which Ouch, is yeah. not ideal, but uh, <laughs> yep. yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, so I guess uh, that's yeah. Before top sixteen, any any other memorable moments? I, I think we we covered a good amount. Um, no, not really. I mean, you know, they're they're fun little interactions and blah blah blah. But it's all pretty pretty you know par for the course CDH okay. stuff. Actually, um, actually, I I think we should though. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys played in the same pod at all during the tournament. Um, don't think no, so. No, no, no. We never no, sadly not. I, I definitely, I definitely played in pods with both of you <laughs> over the course of yeah. the sixteen, which I think we should actually probably go over a bit. Um, so, yeah, yeah, uh, that makes sense. Can I think me and you played first, um, or at least we we were in the same pod before me and Morgan yep. were in the same pod. Um, which is a fun one. Uh, it was, I believe. So it was. Uh, there was a five color Sisse player. Uh, yep. You, me, and. I'm forgetting the last deck that was in it that was pod. Ball it was Ball on... Um, oh, right, yes. Uh, Dawn Waker. Uh, yes, Thrash Bruce, Dawn Waker. Um, it was a fun pod. <laughs> Basically, the entirety of the game was spent under a deafening silence. <laughs> yep. Uh, which... <laughs> Makes for makes for a rough time for anybody actually trying to win the game, aside from the yes. Sissé player, and the Sissé player could never get there. <laughs> so it yep. was just like, the entire game was spent maneuvering interaction under a deafening silence trying not to lose <laughs> for the entire Yep, table. yep. Yeah, no, that, that game was fun. I, I, anytime I have to default to lightning bolt control yeah i'm like okay sure this game is a game and um, for the record that game only went to a draw because i ripped a fierce off the top for the bolt at like the exact right time <laughs> oh interesting okay nice yeah. nice <laughs> <laughs> because that like there, yep. there was a very real ch they were like uh they were like i think two crocs and a veyran in play or a harmonic prodigy yeah. in play yeah. Um, so we were like actually very realistically, we like we were getting very close to just dying to you casting a bolt every end step <laughs> once people were like out of cards. <laughs> so it was it was a pretty it was a pretty huge stroke of luck for me to actually like get a counter spell for it that mattered. That, I was, that was I, good I was though. I mean, stuck the... not having the mana for like the entire game. But yeah, it was a good. But game. the way you, you weighed the the way you played to the outs in the final turn, I thought was really good. That the one thing that I'll, I'll note for audience, yeah, the audience, and like particularly if anybody, you know, if you're toing, um, put a clock in your feature match area, please. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. That was that was something I just I yeah. did I I was so dumb I didn't ask for time until we had like 17 minutes left and then it was like oh, oh crap well, we have to you actually know? try to play the game now and I don't think anybody's e actually gonna e get through to it through exactly through and just to be like now things. I have to like try to hurry opponents along and their decision making and like blah 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 and it it just it was a little unfortunate but but yeah that just a small note like for tos if you have a feature match area just throw a clock in there you know yep. set it up so that um that you know the players have all the information that they deserve to have um but it was fun i mean i i just felt really i mean super glad to meet you folks generally that was kind of my primary goal is like meet all these people who who i admire and whose content i listen to and you know who i can learn from 
but also finally you get a game with your read i was like okay excellent this is you know, like <laughs> you can now play, i can yeah. you know dial up the learning uh, as as much as possible and uh I wish, Morgan, that we had been able to sit down at a pod and play in the tournament. I know that we got games outside of it, which was a blast. But um, next time, there will be more. Uh-huh. Oh, I, I, we did actually, because it was interesting, because there was a little bit of a prelude to this game, actually, because we had played the MLC um, yeah. a, couple of, a couple of weeks before, two or three weeks before, yeah. something like that. So you sort, of, you sort of got a preview as to what it was like playing a tournament with me so that <laughs> that's true that that's true right? I, I learned i learned a little bit about the politicking a little bit about the social patterns yeah. um but it's man, god it's just so much play in person is so much better oh yeah oh my god oh my god it's it's a it to me it, it feels like it's almost a different game yeah um uh so yeah being in person was really i was like okay now now i get the whole picture you know uh, cool. And then uh, me and Morgan also uh, got a game in, which was yeah, oh, it was a fun one. Oh, I'm, I'm not fun. gonna I'm not gonna go through the entirety of the game, but effectively what it went down to was Morgan was going first, I was going second, and then we had uh, blue red. It was um, Clan Crafter and oh, Bar- what, what is his name? Barrel like the, the guy who Bar- goads Barrel? your stuff and makes yeah. treasures. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So super weird and fun deck, and then it went out of going last. Uh, and the game starts oh, okay. by the game starts with Morgan going, uh, land crypt green sun zenith for hermit druid, <laughs> and we were all just oh like, oh this, yeah, this is gonna be fun, great, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so uh, here's the I, thing: is that I was looking at yeah. that hand because the rest of my hand was, uh, I had a land, vamp tutor consult tainted pact. And I was like, oh wow. I'm like, maybe I'm just supposed to go for uh for like, like a bloom, bloom tender. tender. Yeah. Because yeah. like just having that much mana, you know, I can play my like I can play Thrasios and hold an activation, or like play Timna and hold like Chain of Pact or Consult. Um yep. like that's probably like the safest play. And then literally in my hand, I was like, I'm on a, I'm on stream, but even if I wasn't, like, I'm going first. If turn one Hermit Druid into turn two win is ever going to work, it's now. now. And yep. so I'm going for it. And then on <laughs> on Reed's turn one, he git probes the, uh, the is it player. Yeah, who... and I see, I see in his hand he has uh, Colored Land, a Strip Mine, gamble and path negation <laughs> just like oh boy this one's gonna be a rough answer all right <laughs> so i wow. I, I don't i don't have the answer for hermit Druid, um in in my opening hand so i'm just like well all right we're gonna yeah we're gonna have to try to not die to this one using something in this hand <laughs> so i think i played yep. i think i played out um i think i also had some fast mana um but like nothing much to do with it on the first turn i think i just like played like uh it was like a sword. Oh, I had like a sword and a dork. I think I played a dork. Anyway, uh, we passed the turn over to him, and he like plays a land, and, and he plays the Valk, and I'm just like, okay, no, 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 you can't. I, I'm, I'm not sure that you can play the Valk yet because there's a very real chance that we have to strip mine Morgan turn one so that we don't die. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the idea being that like he doesn't have another card or he doesn't yeah. have another uh, creature in play. There's only an Archimiba in the deck, um, and he needs the green to activate the Hermit Druid, so, like, theoretically, yep. if you strip mine him here, he has to use the land drop to activate the Hermit Druid, and then he doesn't have an additional mana to cast the Malevolent Hermit out of the bin, or cast, like, a Dork from hand, um, yep. unless he rips exactly uh, Elver Spirit Guide off the top, 
Um, so he's like, yeah, all right, that, that sounds good to me. So he strip mines Morgan turn one. <laughs> um, and then uh, Winota uh, doesn't, I believe, doesn't do much on turn one either. Um, and then yeah, he, he just played like a Lotus Petal. Yeah. And then on Morgan's turn, he rips the Elder Spirit Guide and has the land drop. <laughs> oh my god. So he goes he goes for it, goes, yeah, land drop, bitch ESD, activate activate the Hermit Druid, get, get the Dark Amoeba, cast, cast Malevolent Hermit, and then the Izzet player, I did see this in his hand, rip the Force of Will for turn. <laughs> Oh my god. Malevolent Hermit pitching the back to negation. Oh wow. Yeah. And and Reed had like, Reed had been like, he'd been like, no, I think you have, I forget exactly what he said, but it was basically like, no, I think you have to use the strip mine, not the other one. So I was like, okay, not the other one. This guy had two Uh options. One of them was strip mine and like, given that he chose the strip mine, you know, like he had like a one mana counter spell and a strip mine. He's like, that's my assumption. Um, yep. And he played strip mine, not the one mana counter spell, and so I'm I'm now home free uh, because you know Reed effectively told me, hey, there's only one like he is only there's one only piece one of interaction. Thing, yeah, yeah. And he <laughs> <laughs> plays force of will, and Reed and I are both oh just like, God. what? Wait, <laughs> I was assuming you expected that I had been bluffing, and I really wasn't because I had not seen it. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. And then, and then it gets better because on my turn, I go Landrop Soaring Phantasmal Image of the Hermit Druid. <laughs> oh, great. Yep. 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 And then, and then, Ken, there. do you want to know how that game ended? How? We both activated our Hermit Druids, and it went to a draw. Oh my god. So, so, yeah, the, the Winota player on turn two uh, uses his pedal to cast Archon. So now we're like, okay, well, this is awkward. I literally had to, um, I had to memories uh, journey in my upkeep to not die, obviously. Yep. Um, and I was like, okay, I could put like Thoracle and land back. And basically what I came up with was, I think my best option was, I had a counterspell, like, a land, yeah. and an endurance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, like, yep. that was what I put back, and then I was like, I'm just gonna try and like bluff Reed into thinking I have the counter spell, um, like, and uh, Reed, unbeknownst to me, had drawn his Narcamoeba, and since there was an Archon, <laughs> yes. he couldn't win by activating because <laughs> oh, he would I, only I have could, had wow. two creatures. <laughs> oh wow! So then oh, he wow, he like plays his commander and passes or something, and then it gets yeah. back to Winota, who slams. Uh, uh, remorseful Winoda. cleric, the one that no, no, exiles graveyard. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. And we're just like... remorseful cleric, and now we're both it, or, it, the or, entire game. Yeah. yeah, one of the two. Anyway, he does that, and then now we're both trying to maneuver a game with like all of our entire decks available to us via Hermit Druid, but having to maneuver yeah. around a, a Remorseful Cleric plus a Rule Blonde <laughs> play, and I had also uh-huh. drawn my Endurance, so we both had Endurances for each other as well. Wow. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it was that was definitely a game. <laughs> that's pretty funny. That's good, though. That's a nice little, um, that's a nice little lock, you know? Yeah, <laughs> just mutually taking it to a draw because nobody could actually deal with it otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, cool. Uh, so I guess we'll, uh, we'll move over to, uh, day two slash top 16. Um, mm-hmm. so I think, Ken, you had, I think you're the best seating out of any of us. Uh, I was, when the, when the cut was made, I was sixth. Yes. And yes. We, so were we were seventh actually, and eighth. Yeah, seventh and eighth. 
Oh um, hell yeah! yeah look, at was, look at that cluster. I was look oh, at that cluster and, and of baddies. the fifth place player, the other Hermitrude player. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Celicia. Yep. Um, wow. Which was great, also because I I didn't know whether or not I was getting eighth or ninth, which is actually a very big deal um, on the gap between those because the seating order in top sixteen was uh, the seating order was defined by your seed. Oh, so, yep. yeah, it's a hard one to say without yeah. <laughs> exploring stuff. Anyway, um, so eighth means you're going second in your pod. Ninth means you're going third. So pretty huge difference. Very, very relieved mm-hmm. to have gotten the eighth slot rather than the ninth there. Um, nice. But yeah, so uh, I guess we'll, yeah, Ken, we'll go through your uh, sort of your experience in top 16 uh, before going to top four. Um, so you were in yeah, a pod um, with, yeah. Go for it. I was in a pod. It was uh, Corvold in the first seat, which you know we we hate to see it. Uh, <laughs> you know, and and but you know we had access to the list, and this was just like the all gas no brakes Corvold, oh, yeah. barely any interaction, just all pedal to the floor. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, so Corvold in the first seat, then me, and then uh, Ball on Don Waker, and then a gentleman um, on uh, Rocco. And I was like, okay, cool. I was I was just excited to play against the Rocco deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and the game was it was something it was weird um uh basically i i kept a hand um premised on the strength of heuristic study and that that premise proved itself to be true right. um, the heuristic study absolutely <laughs> kept me alive and then won me the game um and uh, Ball had a, a Dranith that was really keeping everybody keeping everybody nice and slow for a while. Um, I I just had uh, a single Kark, you know. I had managed to politic with Ball. To, I had bounced the Dranith, recast the Kark, passed the turn, being like, "Well, you can redeploy the Dranith, and that shuts off Corvold." And you know, and you know, this is just a little thing. So he agreed to that, and that was nice. So I got a ah, Kark trigger. Um, and uh, and then Rocco was sort of developing a board, but not doing too much. Um, didn't have a ton of mana. And uh, and then Corvold had a monkey that you know monkeys and Timnas just prey on the good old Sakashima players for good reason because most of the time, and I say most, not all, but most of the time, we ain't gonna block. And uh, and so. Corvold was just making treasure after treasure after treasure off me and when ripping lands, which was great because it made my Ristic draws better. Um, but eventually got to a turn, swung in, attacked me, monkey. Monkey flips a Mind's Desire. And the Dranith is still there. But I see the Mind's Desire get flipped and I was like, huh, well, that's unfortunate. I sure would like to cast that spell. Uh, and I'm not gonna. And uh, and then Corvold IDs the line. Tainted Packs for Assassin's Trophy or, you know, finds Assassin's Trophy, stops there, and we're all going like, huh. You know, I'm thinking like, okay, yeah, pop the Dranith so that you can dockside Corvold, do the do the standard thing. But pops the Dranith, which makes me, I'm thrilled about it. Um, and then uh, starts, starts swinging wheels, you know, starts doing stormy stuff, building up mana, uh, and then goes to cast my Mind's Desire. And off the monkey. Right. And I was like, oh, I see. Because they controlled a storm killing artist, and so did I. Oh, so I was like, yeah, I get fun. it. You know, <laughs> yep. this is just this is just a, a very expedient route to generate enough mana that when you resolve your Corvold, then you're good to go because you'll have so much treasure to crack. Yeah. And um, 
you know, don't even don't even really need Dockside at that point. Um, and uh, so they they went for it that way, and I had to politic extremely hard. I had to push um, uh, Ball and the other gentleman who was on Rocco to feed me. I was like, I'm the only out right now. Like they they didn't have interaction. I was like, I've got. I had a fierce in my bin. I kind of intuited. Um, when a dockside had come down and um, Rocco had a ton of mana from their dockside, they floated, they cracked them all. They, I think they cracked eight, eight treasures for all green. And I was like, okay, well, endurance, maybe there's a noxious revival, hopefully, whatever. And sure enough, they're like, I have a noxious. I was like, cool, you need to noxious my fierce back, and then you need to feed my Ristic so that I can draw it and stop Corvold's nonsense. And uh, and and they they agreed. They're like, yes, that's the only out. We see it. We agree. But then they went back and forth, the two players, and they're like, how much do we feed? You know, how much do we feed them? Should we feed them one extra card? And it was this big convoluted conversation about feeding me one extra card. And I was like, I was fighting tooth and nail to be like, yes, you do feed me one extra card here because fierce might not do it. And I, again, I am the only out. Y'all are going to lose unless I play control. So please, God, just feed me with one more card, right? What's it going to do? Um, and so they, they did. They wound up doing that. Rocco sort of frustratingly endurance his own graveyard, not the Corvold's players, which was I was a little right. upset about. But it was okay. I was like, fine, whatever. But I got my Fierce back, and I managed to Fierce uh, something that mattered at the time. And, uh, and then Corvold, uh, they are in this weird spot where... They have enough treasure off Dockside to perform the loop with Teamer, but draw me a card each time. Mm. Um, they can't. They can't do it scot free. So they mines desire. Mines desire. Eventually th- flips a um, pyroblast. And so I was like, okay. I was just thinking, and and a bunch of other stuff, including an LED. Right. And I was like, okay. I'm really, really hoping that they don't pyroblast the Ristic immediately. Yeah. Right. That would be the smartest thing. I'm really, really hoping they don't. And Sandwich the player didn't. I was like, okay, this is great. But he was paying for Ristic because he had tons of mana. And I was like, oh, fuck. Okay, well, I hope I, you know, I hope I get something because I still was drawing dead. The Fierce was was gone. I had a hell of a hand for my turn. I had a packed up keep trigger, but I had Krark and Stormkiln. Um, and I think at that point I had five, four, four treasures. I had cracked down to four. Um, and I was like, well, you know, if I draw some free interaction, maybe Stormkiln will bounce it. Krark will bounce it a hand a few times. Stormkiln will generate me enough mana to pay for Pact and then just go for it. Otherwise, I was just going to pay for Pact and probably just pass. Maybe develop a piece or something. Right. Um, and Corvold cast LED did not pay for Ristic. Um, and I and and responded. Held priority. Responded with Pyroblast targeting Ristic, paying. I was like, oh, oh no, not paying. I was like, okay, cool. I've got two draws, um, and uh, I drew my break trap, and it was the perfect draw. Yep. It was the best out. I was in Dockside was still on the stack, I think. Yeah, no, this is actually when Dockside was on the stack. The LED had drawn me another card, which got me closer to the my break trap. But so Dockside was on the stack and a pyroblast. Dockside for the loop, and uh, and we knew the hand. Uh, the player had to crack their LED because of the mind's desire pile. So we knew the hand, we had a total, totally perfect information. Mind Break Trap was able to hit the Dockside, hit the Pyroblast, protect the Ristic. Their turn was done. Um, they they just basically fizzled. And then because of Mind Break Trap, I cast, I think, three or four times and it kept bouncing. <laughs> and right. so I was able to untap, pay for Pact, go over the top, and then do 
Clark stuff. But it was a really wild game, and that la- and really the the extremely you know me just talking exhaustingly at these two players and just being like, please, right, yeah. one more card. What what you know. I do have the pack trigger, and yes, I could draw free interaction and make a ton of treasures, whatever, but you do have to not lose in order to win. So one card, maybe? And that that's what got me there, you know? thats yeah. I, I drew... My Break Trap was the last card I drew off that entire chain of stuff from the Rhystic, and that's what saved my skin. So it was, it was very, very lucky. And I was super happy to see somebody take my mind's desire and go for a win. That was... That was fun and exciting to watch and <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah it was it was a wild game and i i felt super like just luck sacked into and out and then um you know oh, just performed the regular you, storm you stuff play to the outs and then you you hit them right like sometimes you, you yeah. hit the outs yeah yeah, yeah. Play to i guess that's otherwise like i guess yeah. that's true I, I was i was always doing that um and it did pay off so it was a, it was a really fun game and i think everybody felt the Corvold player was kind of cursing themselves for a couple misplays in that last turn, but um, they were in a really tight position. They 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 had enough resources, but everything was just a little bit awkward, right. uh, a little bit mana short, a little bit awkward. So they didn't just have like a super open lane, and um, so they they I think were beating themselves up a little bit, but I think they played really really well, and they saw a cool line that I I did not see until they popped the Dranath, um, which was very fun. Yeah, and it's it's definitely. It, it gets harder to play, especially, like, Corvold-style lines like that. Um, I feel like it gets harder to play those in top 16, especially if you're not necessarily super experienced in playing in, uh, in tournaments, especially not real-life tournaments um, like this, where, yeah. like, I there are definitely a bunch of ways that you can uh, mess it up or just miss something, especially if you haven't, like... There are a lot of lines with those decks where you're not guaranteed to have seen that situation before when it happens in yeah. the game, right? Like, there's yeah. just so many permutations of how the combos with those styles of decks work, so that it's just like, yeah, you just never know. You just have to yeah, hope that you can think through it on the fly. Yeah, and I, you know, I credit where credit's due. Like, Sandwich, when I flipped Mind's Desire, they didn't, I don't think they... I mean, they didn't immediately recognize it. <laughs> they like right. picked it yeah, up yeah, and yeah. read it, and I was like, "Yeah, you got a storm killer. It seems pretty cool." But I, I also, I was just like, "Well, whatever. You're just gonna Corvold and Dockside, right. and you know, you don't need that." Uh, but it turned out they did need it. Like they, this was a more expedient yeah, yeah. way to generate a ton of mana, and yeah, reading the card explains the card, and they <laughs> sure did read it, and uh, it it worked out. I mean, their line was really fun, and they they nearly had it. They nearly had it. Cool. Um. Uh, I think we'll we can cover I guess ours quickly. Um, yeah, please do. Morgan, <laughs> can we cover yours cause... quickly? <laughs> no, uh, yeah. I, I just I. I just do it first, yes. <laughs> so so uh, my pod was uh, going first was Blue Farm, uh, going second was me, going third was um, uh, Josh on Teamer Pirates, uh, and going last was Yisan. Um, my pod between us kept a total of 19 cards which is such a low number that in my head i went like oh yeah 19 out of 21 that's that's normal and then i was like wait a minute (laughs) they're supposed to be 28 not 21 (laughs) um so yeah it was uh four like blue farm on four i was on six uh tumor malcolm on four Yisan on five. 
And I look at my hand. I don't have a dork, which wow. sucks. But I have... My plan is... Okay, turn two, I'm going to play this collector roof. And I'm going to laugh at, you know, Blue Farm, who's just mulligan to five at the time I'm making this decision. Yep. And Team or Pirates. Um, yep. And then Yisan's going to go turn one land dork, turn two Yisan. And then on turn three, I'm going to untap and I'm going to Gilded Drake the Yisan. And nice. I kept a Tainted Pact, so... Uh, yeah, cool. I could just go turn like Yisan on one, get a dork. Yisan on two, get Thoracal, win the game. Thoracle, awesome. Yeah. We've got a a plan, um, and everyone has a plan until they get turn one windfalled. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the play, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, turn one on the play. Yeah. So uh, so we're now playing a different game. Uh, I my hand had <laughs> it was Hermit Druid, uh, and then just the wonkiest set of interactive spells. Uh, mm-hmm. Force, Memory's Journey, Mind Break Trap, and March of Swirling Mist. Oh, wow. Um, sure. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't good. want to let go of either the Mind Break Trap or the March of uh, Swirling yeah. Mist. So when I played my Hermit Druid and it got forced, I was like, okay, I'm if I'm forcing back, I'm pitching Memory's Journey. And if I've spent my Force yeah. in my Memory's Journey, then having this Hermit Druid is not particularly valuable to me <laughs> nearly as yep. good uh yep. so i'm just letting this get countered and then i use my force to counter the crom from tim to crom um because they okay. spent a pedal to cast it they didn't have more yeah, red and nice. i was like no one has anything going on uh yep and like this crom is gonna draw cards from being a crom plus draw cards from the timna that's in play so just no thanks um and then mm-hmm. basically the rest of the game was spent trying to keep yasan off the board um and I got to the mana to overload a Psych Rift, like, literally just too late. Um, he had his Yeva, and so he was flashing stuff in in the end step, and um, he spent basically all of his mana, except he had, he had Cradle and Nykthos and a Magus of the Candelabra. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay, he's going to query and ranger his Magus of the Candelabra. I'm going to overload Psych Rift in response. And then he's not going to have the mana to redeploy everything. Um, yeah. and then he just didn't, uh, oh, like he just went, yeah. cool. I'm just going to go to my turn with what I have in play. And I was like, well, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and then he drew summoners pact and found a Shia and I was like, well, oh, wow. if a Shia yeah. resolves, the psych rift is useless because everything is yep. a land. So I guess we're yep. overloading it now and hoping he can't assemble a win, uh, under like you know set him up set himself up to win and he could yeah um nice. although someone yeah. pointed out that his he was like kind of not doing anything and then someone made a comment about Yisun being summoning sick and he'd flashed it into the end step and someone's like it's not summoning sick and he was like oh right and then just did yes on things and i was like what? Oh, <laughs> really wow. yeah it just feels so bad <laughs> um, oh no yeah but, free real estate but yeah um like it was, it was a good game it was a it was a very fun game um but uh yeah it was just a little unfortunate because i had the psych rift for a while and like i'd used i used the mind break trap to counter I forget what I countered, but it was, like, something that I was like, that's gonna kill us extremely quickly. Yep. And then, maybe, yep. oh, I think it was uh, Finale for Muse. I was like, yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, yep, yep. It was either gonna be for Muse or Ashaya. I'm like, yeah, no. Um, and then I'd used the the March to bias a turn when he tried to untap his Magus before. Because um, mm-hmm. other people kept bouncing the Yisun. 
And then I was like, yeah. I was just like, a land, please, a land. And it was like uh, a turn cycle of, you know, like I activated Thrasios two or three times. I was like, just a land, please. Whoa. And I found it. Yeah. I found it just too late. Yep. Mm. And so, yeah, Yasan, Yasan won, which I guess you know, because you were in the final table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, I won't get all the way into top 16 for me because it's it's uh, discussion spanning probably more than we have time in this episode. Um, but <laughs> we ended up due to an extremely extenuating set of circumstances ended up uh, <laughs> intentionally drawing the first game in semifinals. And because you require a winner in top 16 single elimination, uh, we had to play another game, uh, which unfortunately ended up losing. Uh, didn't make the correct read on... A, the out would have been to deadly rollick the onboard Thoracle in response to uh, somebody casting a phantasmal image on turn three with no prior setup. <laughs> while uh, while there was yeah. also while there were also two crumbs and an Esper Sentinel in play. Um, oh wow! My, okay. yeah, my, my assumption was well, I if if this is going for the Thoracle, um, I need to kill the Thoracle. But if it's not, I am really gonna need this Rollick for one of these crobs at one point. Well, one of them was mine, but yep. for the other crob at one point, and presumably that image was go was also going to be a crom. Um, so I was yep. like, well, I'm gonna need this Rollick if this isn't the Thoracle. So gotta take the, uh, gotta take the, I guess the risk. I'd say, um, but didn't end up turning mm -hmm. out. Also, so, yeah, you'd, you'd done damage. enough damage by single-handedly ruining CDH tournaments for <laughs> yeah, the rest of time, right? <laughs> There's, yeah. yeah, so we won't get into the, this episode's going a little long already, we won't get into the draw, um, but, but there's, yeah, there uh, we'll, we'll two, link, yeah. uh, joking, the tournament organizer has a pretty lengthy section about it in his uh, tournament report, and then I wrote a Reddit post on sort of like basically laying out like what i think the the worst case scenario that this precedent uh could enable is um and there's lots of good discussion there so we'll make sure to link uh both of those yeah. if, be in and, the and for the episode. it's quite possible we'll wind up talking about it uh on just you know another now. episode or in another context <laughs> yeah. just uh not now. yeah it's i mean it and i'll just say too for the audience like you should if you are interested in tournament CDH and its future, you should read these conversations and you should look up what happened and look at the consequences and look at Monarch's policy. Like this is, it's an important event and um, the conversation, thinking through it, I think is very, very relevant uh, for, for anybody interested in tournament CDH. So yeah. definitely give it a read. Um, cool. But having moved past all of that, Ken, uh, we did not make it to the top four. You did, so you, okay. you have the floor. <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, the final table, the, the really nice thing is um, uh, a wonderful YouTube channel who who I'm going to look up just to make sure I get their name right while I do this. Uh, they, they recorded the game. They got the audio, mm -hmm. and they put out an edited version of the final match on YouTube, and um, they also put out an unedited version. And... Uh, which is fantastic, and I'm super happy that they're able to do that. Um, and you can get a sense of sort of the the play patterns of the game and the kind of core moments. But kind of the the long and short of it in my mind is that I drew a really really good hand. <laughs> <laughs> I I was I was I was I was on the play. I was in the first seat, and my hand wasn't 
the fastest in the world, um, but it had everything. It had mana production, a ritual, interaction, draw, and uh, and a stable start. And I was like, well, okay. So I I was you know um, in the finals against. I was in the first seat. Second seat was Najila. Third seat was Tim Nasakashima, kind of mid range. Fourth seat and the Najila is the like you know the kind of standard Nas right. Najila. And then um, fourth seat was Isan. And so. Mulliganing, I I I was like, okay, yes, like I had to make the the I had to guess about an early Dranath from Timna Sakashima or or for that matter from Najila, but I was like, I'm just gonna bet that they are not that that they they, they don't have it. They don't have a turn one Dranath and that I'll be able to develop before that. And then I also was like, well, oof could be rough. Um, but I'm just going to take the risk and, you know, hopefully hold on to this ritual and slow roll it. And then I can make mana that way. Um, and both the Timnus Akashima player and, um, Isan, both of whom were, you know, in control of those potential threats, they just got stuck on mana. Yeah. And so they had to, they had to warp their play patterns around that. Timnus Akashima got stuck on a land and a Mox Diamond. They cast a Douthi. And uh, which I didn't really mind, and uh, because breach is a very, 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 very backup plan for me. Um, yeah. And Eson, they had a Trenosphere in hand, but they were so stuck on mana, and one of their pieces was a Chromox. So they were kind of priced out of casting the Trenosphere to try mm-hmm. to slow me down. Um, they worldly tutored EOT on uh, before they untapped on turn two. They had a Gemstone Caverns, but before they untapped on turn two for a uh, bird's paradise and right. i was like okay we're good we're set yeah yeah the you time. know the 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 runway is clear um and uh, i found that youtube channel by the way it's the commander's house um there you go. it's a spanish channel it's fantastic and you can find both edited and unedited versions of this final game um the the long and short of it it was that the game the final turn, which was mine, you know, lasted a long time. I my estimation of how much time was eaten up by opponents deliberating about what to do and how to adequately combat what I was up to. I think it was about seventy percent of the hour long turn was them deliberating and holding priority and interacting and deciding when to interact. Mm. One of the players, the Timna Sakashima player, had never played against Kark Sakashima. Yeah, which I, I, I was sorry, I don't, very I, grateful for. Yeah, I, I don't I don't want to step on your toes a bit too much here but i think this the, no, the game was truly a um all, all, an almost perfect demonstration of uh how crux akashima functions into tables that um don't really have a whole lot of experience in interacting with it and understanding the interaction yes. points with it um just yes. and and how well crux akashima can take advantage of those tables um when the like yeah. when there's not even like a lot of the time, um, if there's one vocal person at the table that knows how to play against the deck, yeah. you'll sort of get a dissemination of information during the winning turn to the rest of the table that'll mm-hmm. sort of up that amount. I'm not sure that happened at all in that pod. Um, it didn't. Yeah. I mean, th- there were... Th- I'd say the Yisan player was the most vocal right. um, and the most sort of thoughtful about things, but uh, the the Najila player also, their hand priced them into clamming up because they had everything right (laughs) they had everything they had they had a silence they had a consult they had a vamp tutor um they had to revy they just they they had everything they needed to to and they had more interaction did everything they needed to to protect themselves and to set up multiple wins and they so i think that they were kind of quiet hoping that 
they would draw out all the possible interaction from Tim Sakashima and, and Isan. Isan didn't have any interaction. Tim yep. Sakashima <laughs> with the with the Douthi had had some interaction um, but in hand. Somebody uh, else to also like feed into the Douthi to do stuff there. Yes. Exactly. So required required other people to expend resources, and um, yeah. So it was you know I started putting two Kark triggers on the stack, and I made sure the moment the game started to be very very conscious about how I presented what I was doing to mm. the table. So when I put a right of flame on the stack for the first time. And by the way, the first two turns where I tried to win off, nothing happened. Clark said no. Yep. So <laughs> I, I, I think you whipped on the first turn. two triggers on that first turn. Um, yeah. yeah. Or was yeah. it three? Um, well, I got, I tried to ride a flame twice right. and failed. And then at an EOT, I tried to consider right. and failed. <laughs> yeah. So there were three, three losing Clark flips in a row. And then I, so I could have gone for it turn three, but Clark said no. And then turn four, things started to work out for me. But um, but basically, there was a silence. I think, ultimately, th there was a mistimed silence yeah. that um, that could have saved the game. Um, and it just got thrown out a little too late. But again, my rhetorical presentation of what I was doing was very clear. And I think those early lost flips helped. Because when you, haven't, when you don't know the deck e extensively, and you play against it, and you see somebody spend three mana to do nothing, yeah, uh, it's suddenly it seems like okay, maybe this isn't the end all be all, it's, right? It sort of like um, pre preps your threat assessment to be lower, yes. Um, when you see it yes. like fail a couple of times, and especially in the same game, like it over over the course of multiple games, like maybe you saw it like not do something in the first game and then play it against it in the second game, like maybe you have time to evaluate, like okay, that's that's probably not what the deck's designed to do, but in the same game, yeah. it can be sort of difficult to detach what immediately just happened from the theoretical threat of. Uh, what could happen exactly exactly and um but you know when i put that first right on the flame on the stack i i just was like okay let's see if Clark lets me make some mana when i put the first consider on the stack i said all right i'm gonna see if Clark lets me have a thought you know like i was trying to just be very casual and downplay the fact that like i have mana and i have card draw yeah and i have a tavern scoundrel like, <laughs> like for, i have for, everything <laughs> i need but i was like i really wanted to emphasize that like this is it's not in my hands right like the de it's not like i just do what i want yeah. we're gonna see and i was trying to be as casual as possible and i think that really helped like the casual tone helped a lot and then by the time i was putting two and then four triggers on the stack and you know finding card draw off card draw yeah making it's, mana it's, it's making treasures <laughs> blah 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 um i i wound up fighting through on on the turn a silence, a um, Dovin's veto, uh, two abrupt decays, and a concerted defense, and sailed through it. Yep. Like it, it really that game. I felt very lucky. I drew a really nice hand. I was drawing live cards. The the Clark flips after those first three were really beautiful. You know, back to hand and copy, and it just it the everything worked out in my favor. And I think that the the opponents. They deliberated a ton and they talked a lot, but they didn't wind up making the best decisions. Mm. And I benefited from that disparity between maybe an intimate knowledge of the deck. And then I just was luckier and I was on the play and Najila had to expend all their interaction. And I also was able to, I think, can I mean, I don't know. There came a point where they just had to burn the second abrupt decay yeah. to do something. Um, but I 
I was like, I'm telling you, there's a like there is a Drevi coming. So if you if you spend everything on me, Drevi uh Nijilan taps and wins. Just letting y'all know. Like I'm I'm pretty confident about that. And then yes, you know, Najila had a Drevi after I, I found that out off a of Git probe chain. Yep. Um but it was a good game. It just it wound up everything kind of worked in my favor. I was on the play. I had a great opener and I made I think a couple of correct assumptions about what the players were gonna mulligan towards. And then after that it was really just play tight, play play a social game from the beginning. Yep. And then just hope that it works. And it, it did. Yeah, hey, I mean, you put yourself in the winning position and yeah. um, you pulled the win out because, um, again, you just sort of, I, I mean, it, maybe it's a toxic term, but I, you just, I think you just sort of better played the top 16 um, for the most part in terms of just having, uh, having a really good lock on what you're doing, have a, a really good lock on what the rest of the table was up to and sort of the pain points that you could push past. Um, and try to yeah. um, get past with specifically uh, some table talks and politics and also just um, like good sequencing, right? Yeah, I, I definitely felt good. I felt like the social game was good. And uh, the whole tournament, too, I think, just did a great job of just preparing me to be like, okay, the social game, political game begins immediately. Yep. The second after you introduce yourself and say nice to meet you and be nice, like that's the game begins um, before you see a single magic card. And... That helped me win the Corvold game, you know, when I was drawing off Ristic and Corvold was deliberating back and forth a few times to pay for it, not pay for it. I had my head, I had my head in my hands, elbows on the table, pile of cards of my hand just face down, yep. sideways. I draw a card, look at it, throw it on top of the pile. I just was really trying to exhibit like I am drawing dead, keep going, you've got it. Yep. And I was able to, again, like I drew a mind break trap and I didn't, oh, I didn't panic. I didn't pick up my hand. I didn't, I just like drew it, looked at it like it was land, put it on the pile, waited, waited, waited. Mm -hmm. Like all of this stuff, all the body language stuff, everything you say, how you comport yourself, it all adds up. And, um, and by the way, it's like the only thing you can control anyway, you know, like, oh yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I did well in that I think I played tightly and I did well in the social game, but that's all I can do, you know? And then the draws, that's it. Like, okay, yep. the deck will tell me whether or not, like, all of that is going to be matched by good luck. But I I like to just focus on what I can control and then kind of ride the wave after that. Um, and it was great. And then I went home with a time twister, which I did <laughs> not expect to go home with. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, and that was great. Cool. Unexpected boon, huh? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Walk over the next eight thousand dollars. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, and it was great, and yeah. um, and I felt good about the last game too. Everybody mm -hmm. afterward, everybody was super cordial and respectful, and I think everybody, you know, it was a hard fought game. Everybody felt like they could do something. Yep. Um, and uh, and we walked away all, I think, all smiling. And and I, the first thing that happened after shaking hands and whatever, I was like, I looked at every player and I was like, I. Like that was a good game. Thank you for it. And y'all made like we made the top four. Yep, that's huge. Yep. Like, and so I hope that y'all feel really good about your performance. Like, congratulations. It was an honor to play with you. Whatever. I just I never want people to you know in a top heavy tournament like that. I do not want my opponents to feel bad. I like they did an incredible job. Oh yeah, and should be you know I mean, actually, praised for that. Like, super, and should feel good about like, it. Very impressive considering. Like, I, I I was talking to Morgan about this. Um, like on the day, like when top sixteen, when we were sort of like getting around to the time that top sixteen uh, cut was being announced. That like that top C top sixteen was very name heavy, in terms of 
there yeah, were there were yeah. a lot of people in that top 16 who were established personalities and yep. people who have done well in tournaments before and stuff like that and the yep. fact that the three of the people in the pod um were effectively um i i would say unknown to the wider cdh sphere for the most part sure um it was yeah. just huge right um yeah just yeah. goes to show and, that and on it, a good day with good play um you can get super far exactly yeah and it i mean i could see it you know playing against them i was like yep i get it you know it's not you, you can't ride that you know you can ride luck to wins plenty yep. but you can't do it through an entire eight round tournament <laughs> and uh they were all obviously tight players thoughtful serious focused and mm -hmm. um and it showed so it was good i i did i felt in good company um and uh and yeah then i i had something to think about fondly while i uh was trapped in heathrow airport again yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, um i think oh god we're oh, we're running long i did want to uh talk quickly though about um just uh just sort of um for anybody listening um for the future we we always try to teach lessons <laughs> to some degree yeah. on the podcast um yeah uh Maybe not as directly as this, um, but I think I think there are some interesting points to be made just in terms of uh, if you find yourself in a similar in a similar situation. Situa Jesus, I can't. Okay, if you find yourself in a similar situation to uh, mm -hmm. Ken's opponents in that final pod, um, I, I think some of the some of the big things uh, to take away from that in terms of uh, I think threat assessing Clark um, are probably. I would I would say there were two key things. You can correct me if you think there are more or fewer, mm -hmm. um, but I think. Um, realistically, uh, there, there, I think potentially there probably should have been alarm bells set off when you cast Ride of Flame twice and then also cast a Consider. Um, seeing a Clark player's hand with both acceleration yep. and card draw in it is, uh, pretty, pretty huge. Um, those are basically exactly what they're looking for, um, yeah. for any given hand. So I, th I think probably the Consider probably should have set off alarm bells, although it might have been a bit too late at that point. Um, yep. and then I think, uh, yeah, definitely, um, if if the correct player has been trying to resolve a right of flame for whatever like four mana over two turns, um, mm -hmm. there's probably something they want to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So maybe maybe consider interacting at the point where they have the copies on the stack if that's the earliest time that you can do so, or um, removing Kark or maybe uh, countering the right of flames. Or in this situation, it probably would have been the silence. Um, but yeah, just yeah. in in that area, maybe like. I think I think Threat Assistant Clark is a pretty difficult task, especially if you haven't played against it a whole lot, a whole lot, um, and uh -huh. don't really have uh, a whole whole lot of experience with its uh with its play patterns. But um, it's something to yeah. consider is just uh, when they're casting spells um, and they're losing the flips, you might want to consider why they're casting those spells and what they want out of it. <laughs> Absolutely. And earlier, you know, interacting earlier rather than later is always a good rule of thumb against Clark Sakashima. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that if it's not always just like, aha, wait for Sakashima to be on the stack and then pop the Kark and then rest on my laurels and play the other two decks, you know, not not bearing in mind that a two drop commander and a four drop commander, they can be recast, you know, yep. it's fine. Like it, it's all good. And, and it happens plenty, you know, games do grind on. And so never, never thinking that like, one piece of prevention is worth, you know, an ounce of cure or whatever. Like you need to prevent and then also continue to pay attention yeah. to the deck because the engine is in the command zone. So it is always available. And, you know, Dockside Extortionist does exist. Yep. And so <laughs> um, interact early, 
remove Kark, remove the enablers if you can't remove Kark or if you're, you know, for some reason, if you think that you can't force through Kark or whatever, remove the enablers. Like the fact that I had Kark, a tavern scoundrel, and then exactly as you said, I showed card draw on a ritual, mm -hmm. that should have sent the table on like, okay, stop that. You know, <laughs> yeah. like full, full <laughs> board, <up>. stop that. <laughs> yeah, yes, like it's, there's everything there. Um, and and for those curious too about how to beat the deck and play it if you're curious like i made a whole video about yeah. it like i literally talk for like 15 <laughs> minutes in a video like here's how you beat this deck mm -hmm. um so you can just look up on youtube how to play Kark well and the back half of that video is me just explaining here are like five rules of thumb pun intended that you can adopt to help you you know combat the deck consistently like it's yep. yes it is complicated yes it's a psychological stacks deck because it does all sorts of stuff with the stack that is hard to visualize and remember and blah 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 and the timing is tough but it is it's just a magic deck at the end of the day it's not some complicated you know uh rocket machine thing so just <laughs> you know keep keep in mind you can study it you can learn it you can beat it and um uh, if they've got everything in hand, yeah, throw throw what you got against it because uh, it is quite it is an it is a hard to interact with engine, maybe arguably harder to interact with engine than Thrasia Seedborn, and it's in the command zone already. Oh, you yeah. know we don't have to t tutor Seedborn Muse, so it's like I I just I want people to think about it in those terms. Like it's an always available engine that is very very good, if not the best engine at protecting itself. Mm -hmm. um, so just prevent the engine. Yep. You know. Stop it, and, and then you're, and then you'll probably be okay. And, like, I, and I will say, so, I, yeah. I think it's also stronger than Thrasio Seaport Muse, just because none of the pieces of it are gilded drinkable profitably. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. It's like yes. it's like gilded yes. drinking Cody. It's just like I really don't yep. want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like okay, yes, you can take my Kark and then not yeah, resolve fun. your counter spells, or you could take my uh, my five cent Tavern Scoundrel yep. and sacrifice a permanent with it. Congratulations, <laughs> like Mazel Tov with that one. Play, I play a deck with it. a tavern scoundrel in it. <laughs> That's also true. yes, you do. Uh, yes, you do. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, and yeah, I I will say I think uh, one of the marks of uh, of a player who is very confident in their deck and their skills and the deck for, and the ability for the deck they play to continue performing is a, like a high willingness to expose to the community at large how you beat it because um, yes, if. The, that shows confidence in that even if you know that people at the table know how to beat the deck, that you're still going to be able to take games off of them, um, which is yeah, exactly, exactly where you yeah. should be. Um, yeah, that's where that's where I want to be. I want to play. I want to play the best games possible. You know, that's why I play CDH. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to win on gotchas. Yeah. I want to win because I had to fight really hard and I played tighter and or got luckier than everybody. Yeah. So. Um. Well, congrats again. <laughs> Thank you. I think, uh, Thank you so much. I think we got through pretty much all the stuff we wanted to talk about in terms of uh, Tier 1 content, our main yeah. topic, uh, which does, in fact, clear the way for everybody's favorite segment. Gut check! <laughs> Gut check. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think, so, uh, Ken, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, which I don't blame you if not, because it's usually... I, I have uh, listened I have. to the podcast oh, okay. before, indeed. <laughs> Good to know. Um, for any yeah. viewers, uh, we're going to ask a quick question and try to get a minimum of deliberation before getting some answers out and just see what everybody mm -hmm. thinks about it. Um, so, Morgan, I think you have a gut check prepared. Yeah, I do. Uh, unfortunately, it's not going to make a terribly good poll, but uh, oh, God the breaks. Uh, <laughs> so, it's... Sorry. Um, <laughs> if you could change one thing that you did at Tier 1 Con, 
what would it be? And it could be card choices, gameplay choices, or even something external to the event. Uh, who's who's the answer first? Uh, I got one. You got one. I, well, well, I can go first. I think. Okay. Guess first. But this this is simple. I I would have packed better food. <laughs> oh yep, yep. Uh, there was pretty much exactly uh, a breakfast at the hotel and then a Circle K. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it was like was... expensive, bad sandwiches. Yep. But no, I, I wished I had packed better and smarter yep. food-wise. Because, yeah, it is, man, nothing drains calories like playing Magic for hours and hours and hours. So eat, eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and unfortunately, um, particularly on day one, the uh, a lot of the lunch break was eaten up because one of the rounds went super long and yeah yeah didn't quite uh wasn't wasn't necessarily the easiest to go get like a a good proper meal Mm -hmm. um i think probably what i would change is getting there a day earlier (laughs) because Uh in the in the two years collective like i guess like week and a half that we have been in copenhagen over the past uh this year and last year uh yeah. we got to see the downtown core for like a grand total of probably three quarters of the day so yep. <laughs> <laughs> so i think i think definitely uh get there another day early and maybe have a thursday as an exploration day and uh smart yeah maybe friday smart. also <laughs> yep uh I, honestly, that's that Reed's answer isn't bad because really what I wished was just that I had gotten more sleep and I don't know exactly mm. what I needed to do because I was just oh, I was waking yeah. up super early and I, I yeah. don't know why. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely like was feeling uh, was feeling like kind of kind of tired and I think, you know, it, it influenced some of my decisions. I don't think it wound up having a huge uh outcome like effect on the outcome but uh definitely yeah. just it, i wasn't in the headspace i wanted to be in mm-hmm. mm. uh great cool um that is our gut check uh and i think we have probably produced enough content for this episode we're running at about the two hour mark <laughs> recordings right now so uh i think we're gonna go through and close this one out um before we go through the whole spiel again ken uh anything that you want to shill any uh links such any where can we find you again yeah. well i mean first of all thank you for having me it's a great oh, honor anytime. like y'all i uh, you know i said this to y'all in person but i'll say it again now because you should hear it more um I look up to y'all immensely as players, as brewers, uh, and so just being able to hang out, meet in person, play games, talk about the tournament, and and you're thinking about it was super instructive for me. So I'm just very gracious for y'all's presence in the community, and I'm very gracious to be a part of this podcast, which is, I think, a very central pillar of sort of the pedagogical thing that we all do, which is, you know, try to help <laughs> each other Incredibly play good kind. games. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, you know, it's I'm, I'm lucky because it's also true, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, but you can find more info about me at kenbauman.com. You can find info about my Kark stuff, my cdh.guide work, my books, um, and, uh, and my, my strange past lives. Uh, <laughs> and, and you'll know what that means when you go to kenbauman.com. <laughs> and uh, that's it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for blabbing so long with me. And again, I really appreciate um, being able to hop on the podcast. Uh, so please. Continue. Oh, yeah. Anytime. Um, uh, and you can find all those links in the description. We'll have those there. Um, 
but I think that does about wrap it up for this episode. Um, if you'd like to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or concerns, you can contact us on Twitter at EntertheNorthPod, via our email at EntertheNorthPodcast at gmail.com, or on our Discord server, the invite link for which can be found in the description for this episode. An extra special thanks goes to all of our patrons who help cover the expenses for our show and allow us to work toward improving the quality of the podcast. If you, too, would like to become a patron, we are at Patreon.com slash EntertheNorthPodcast. Another way you can support us is via our TCG Player affiliate link. Anytime you want to purchase something from TCG Player, if you use our affiliate link, which is in the podcast and YouTube description, a portion of your purchase goes towards supporting the podcast. Uh, thank you, as always, to the band Vox Cadre for our lovely podcast music, to Nate Slovely, to, and to Nate Slover for our equally lovely podcast logo. You never not fumble that one. Next episode will be out in two weeks. Until then, see ya. Have a good one. Bye.